Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 145 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, June the 18th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank Matthew Cook, co-founder of TAG, and Greg Harrison, TAG's lead architect, for joining us last Saturday for episode three of this reveal series. I'd also like to thank Adam Gray and Jesse Craig of PWCC for joining me this past Wednesday for another exciting PWCC Premier Auction Extended Bidding Watch Party. That was quite the evening we had. Tomorrow on Collectible Live, my guest will be Gerard Starkey of SAAS, that is Sports Authentication Authority Services. We'll be going live an hour early as it is Father's Day. That will be 6 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Now, I'll let Steve speak to it, but we will be rescheduling the fifth episode of the Reveal series from next Saturday to a date a little bit into the future, and you're not going to want to miss that one as always. Shout out to the Center Stage app. Download the app in the App Store for quick comps, whether you are strolling through card shows or pricing your cards. If you are a vendor, the app is continuously improving, so join me in supporting these hobbypreneurs as they endeavor to make the hobby even better than it already is. I would also like to shout out channel sponsor, Pristine Auction. PristineAuction.com is one of the most trusted sports memorabilia and collectibles auction sites. Auctions on PremierAuction.com start at just $1 each day and there are thousands of autographed items available. They also sell thousands of sports cards starting with no reserves in their weekly sports card auction, which runs Sunday to Sunday and has everything from vintage to ultra modern, including raw and graded singles and wax. Head over to pristineauction.com and use the code SCL when you register to get $10 off your first purchase. I would also like to shout out the Hobbies Middleman Service Trade Safe, your risk free alternative for trades and buy sells from any peer to peer social media platform or marketplace. TradeSafe has created a service, a process, and a team that makes remote dealing much safer than ever before. It is now fully digital. The website was completely relaunched, and it's easier to use than ever. Check out TradeSafeHub.com. Thank you to all of you subscribers, viewers, podcast listeners. If you're not yet subscribed to this channel, please take a moment. Go ahead and do so. Special shout out today as well to all the people who have been sending me feedback on this tag reveal series. It is becoming more and more clear to me that tag is what the hobby doctor ordered and that tag is open to feedback from the hobby. So keep it coming. As always, your comments, your questions are in play. Before we bring out the featured headliner guest tonight, Steve Cass, founder of tag, would like to come on and address a few things I know the the hobby is curious about. So Steve, welcome back to the show. How's your week been? And uh, what would you like to discuss this evening? Thank you, Jeremy, and uh, thank everybody for uh, being here. It's um, really a special, special day for us, for me. Um, I took a moment uh, to use uh, Google to find out uh, how long this has been, and it's been 3,776 days 
since I started to uh, have the initial thought that I couldn't answer the question, why isn't technology used to grade cards? So it's taken me a long time to get here. It's taken our entire team who's been with me most of the way a long time to get here. And in that respect, I want to say that all of us are, you can imagine, so excited, so, so anticipating uh, this opportunity. Yet one of our uh, team is not here and uh, he's out ill. And uh, I don't want to speak to the specifics of the illness. It's not serious and he'll be out a week or so. Um, I will say that it's uh, uh, something that the, the timing of it is extremely unfortunate. He is as hard a working uh, member of the team as there is. And his role in this uh, rollout today, uh, this demonstration, was a very major role. And missing him is something that uh, is a huge uh, loss for us. But I just want to let him know that uh, the team has got his back and uh, we're, we're pulling it all together. Um, there were a few things that happened in the last uh, week uh, that I did want to speak about. Uh, some of them required some rethinking on our part. Some of them uh, required, I think, just some clarification of uh, what was actually said or intended. And I like to do that uh, each time because I hate for something to appear to be a negative that a simple explanation explains uh, what it is. So one of the topics that came up, and I think I heard from a couple, maybe three people, uh, about the resubmission process. So I wanted to speak specifically to the resubmission process for a moment. When I was asked last week about the resubmission process, and I, I had mentioned that I was uncertain as to exactly what the, the policies were, in my mind, what, what was holding me back from being more direct is that I've said previously, as others have, that our system is not perfect and there's an eight one thousandth variance uh, that we find uh, can occur in the system. And so I wanted to tell people in the resubmission process that, quote, you can't get a higher grade. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking while I was asked that question, what happens if it's within those eight one thousandth of a point? Is that considered a, a, a higher grade? So we decided just to simplify the policy. And our policy is that will not grade or slab uh, any resubmission uh, unless the grade is a lower grade. So if, if, if you're grade shopping, you're, you're hoping to do something better, uh, it's not going to happen with TAG. Uh, we, some of the considerations that we gave to this was that we genuinely believe a submitter should never pay twice for a job if the job is well done the first time. It's just, it, it's, it's unheard of to us uh, that we would charge somebody two times to do the work they paid us to do the first time. The second consideration that we gave was that we think that resubmitted cards are often altered and we don't want to give any incentive to people in the industry to alter cards with the belief that they might be able to resubmit it and get a higher grade. So our policy resubmission, no higher grade means there's no reason for somebody to alter a card and try and get a higher grade. Um, another consideration that we had was that we think the resubmitter of cards is generally more often a trader of cards. And the person who buys that card, they've got a, a higher grade the second time, is often a collector of cards. 
And what's bothersome or most bothersome to us is not that the big boy beware. It's that a lot of times the collector is an early stage collector, a youngster. They don't know any better. They've saved all their money. They're buying their hero. Maybe they're paying $60, $80. It's a lifetime uh, amount of money to them at that point in their life. And then they find out that the card is an altered card uh, that uh, got a higher grade because of resubmission. It just doesn't seem like the way uh, TAG wants to be in business. So given all of those uh, factors, um, we concluded that TAG does not want to be perceived as a lottery for higher grades, and we don't want to appear to be an auction house for grades. We grade a card, for better or worse, you decide. You'll see a lot tonight. That's what we do. That's our grade. Take it or leave it, better or worse. That's the TAG grade. So I wanted to make sure that I was clear on that resubmission and I apologize for not being quite so direct last time. Um, we are going to include in our definition uh, of higher grade um, our grades that are, we will permit a card to get a higher grade if the grade is not a result of more or less defects. It's just a little piece of fray here and there that causes a rounding error of eight one thousandths. Uh, of a point. So uh, the, the, the main thing is there's no opportunity to increase your card grade by resubmitting it. Go somewhere else and seek a second grade there. Um, I also was asked about vintage cards. I also had some trouble answering that question because I wanted to be direct, but it was difficult to be direct without uh, divulging a lot of information. So I did say that we're not contemplating at the time, at this time, uh, doing vintage cards. That's correct. Uh, it's not in our immediate short-term plans. However, our plans for this year are to increase our card ID database, which is the starting point for uh, grading cards. Um, and we'll be adding uh, the game cards uh, to our card ID database. We expect to have that uh, live and running um, this year, 2022. Uh, we will be adding uh, cards by decade, going back to 1990, 1980, 1970, et cetera, by decade, and we'll keep going. Uh, I made a comment last week that uh, it's also a question of opportunity cost. Where do you put your capital? How fast can you grow? Um, there's a process that has to be continued to be developed. Um, You'll see tonight the system is capable of uh, image capture, grading, printing, slabbing very quickly. But nevertheless, we built we have quality assurance, manual quality assurance in every step of the way. So we have five, I believe, five quality assurance stages in there. Over time, I'm confident that those will become fewer and will, it will enable us to process faster. But in the beginning, we want to make sure there's no mistakes. So we're not committing that we will be going back to any period of time prior to 2000 at any particular rate. Our commitment is that we intend to be able to grade a wide array of cards. And uh, just because it's vintage cards is not a limitation for us. Much of our technology today uh, would be uh, sufficient to be used on, on vintage cards. Um, I also talked about in that in the context of vintage cards that there's an opportunity cost. You have to look and see not only capital opportunity costs, but industry opportunity costs and, and 
what it is you're trying to do with respect to um, uh, presenting yourself into the market and gaining market share and gaining respect and credibility. So as we look at opportunity cost, there are things that we now, now have the capability of doing, but they would be distractions to the size team that we have. So in certain instances, we would like to add resource to be able to undertake other opportunities, not to advance the existing opportunities. A good example of that is that um, we, have, we have grading pods that are capable of grading in remote locations, uh, wherever there's, there's internet service, uh, international, US. But there is some software requirements to that to make sure that the software remains protected, to make sure that the actual grading of the cards are something that we do, that they're not done at the remote location. I'm going to talk more about this in the future when we get to that episode. But um, we have been contacted. Uh, I'm not going to say surprisingly because it's not, but I am going to say thank the Lord because it, it is giving us feedback that whatever it is that we're saying is kind of resonating with people and uh, we've received a lot of feedback uh, from people who can influence that opportunity uh, curve for us and uh, that includes investors uh, international investors uh, this week we've had dialogue with asian investors uh, we've had uh, groups of people in canada and elsewhere so as those unfold uh, that may change the, the opportunity curve, and we may go back and rethink the vintage cards and do that faster than I've just described. But I wanted to make sure I don't allow somebody to think we're doing it quicker than we are, and I also don't want them to think that we're not doing it because we can't. It's a balancing of all of the things that, that we're doing. Um, counterfeit detection came up, and... Uh, that has to be one of the most difficult issues to solve in the industry. And it also happens to be one of the issues that should be the easiest. So here's why I'm saying that. The source of counterfeiting are people who are able to apply various technologies that get better and better every year uh, to the reproduction of cards that get better and better and closer and closer to the original version and make it more and more difficult to identify them as being other than the original. And I believe the responsibility for protecting the industry against counterfeits belongs with the card manufacturers, not with the graders. I believe it belongs with the manufacturers, not with the people who buy cards. I believe it belongs with the manufacturers, not, not with the kids who have no idea whether their card is real or not. They go out and they buy boxes that say X manufacturer's name on it, and that brand tells them what's in there is good, and they expect the brand to be protected throughout the, the trading of that card process. So... Um, on our next episode, I'm going to talk about a proposal that I have uh, that I think will solve the counterfeit problem, but it puts the problem where it should be at its source. Uh, there's plenty of technology available for the printers, the, the manufacturers of cards to build anti-counterfeit technology into the manufacturing of cards. It can be done for a very, very small cost. And uh, uh, they are no different in producing cards than 
people who produce securities are, the US government that produces currency is, the obligation to protect that asset value is on the hand, is in the hands of the people who manufacture it and sell it. So I personally am tired of having people tell me stories about how they got duped into buying a counterfeit card. It was a good one. It was a bad one. They didn't know it. it it's not their responsibility to identify counterfeit. We all ought to be able to buy a card from the manufacturer that has a means within that card. And, and Greg can speak to some of those means, but it's time for the manufacturers to belly up to the bar. They're making billions of dollars. They're selling billions of cards. Um, and it's built on the back of hardworking people who are entitled to know the asset they're buying is, is protected by the manufacturer. Um, so with respect to tag and counterfeiting, we do a lot. Um, we use technology and look for a lot of things. We look for no and tells. We look for uh, advanced uh, fingerprinting. We use exemplars. We use uh, a, an escalated process where a card when it qualifies for any one of these other reasons, it gets kicked out and goes to a manual review to determine if it's a counterfeit, a human review. It's one of those quality assurance steps. We're doing all we can. So sometimes I like to be able to say, nobody does this better, certain things. And sometimes I say, no matter what we do, we can't do it well enough. This is one of those instances. I think we do it as well as anybody else. But I don't think there's anybody out there that can say, any grading company that can say, we've never graded or we never will grade a counterfeit card. So I want to be candid and open. We think we're working towards that, minimizing that, but I don't think we will ever get to the point of eliminating the possibility of a counterfeit card getting into a slab, even a tag slab, um, without the help of manufacturers. We can get really good at the technology and the counterfeits and the tells on those counterfeits that we already know, but we have no idea what counterfeits coming out next year, two years, three years, five years. So to sit here today and say we've developed a technology that will identify a counterfeit card that has not yet been made is a foolish thing to say, in my opinion. I'm not going to say it. Yes, we are committed to counterfeit uh, detection and we're working hard at it every day. Um, I can't wait till we get to episode five because I think everybody will rally around this. There's no profit in it for us, there's no, for anybody, but we can get graders and auction houses and collectors, traders, little kids. We can get everybody in the industry just to stand up and say, we're done. We want to be protected against counterfeit cards and we want the manufacturer to do it. Keep in mind, the power of the pocket is big. And when people say, whoever the first grading company is that responds to this need, the first manufacturer, and people say, I'm going to spend more money buying their cards than somebody else's, you will quickly see other manufacturers grab hold of those reins. We as an industry must speak to protect ourselves. I think that the survivability of the industry is at stake. This industry will not survive based on the 99 plus percent of the cards that are bought and sold that have no value. This industry is driven by premium, ultra premium, unique, one of a kind serial cards. And the people that are, that are buying those cards have an expectation that the card is genuine and they need to know that it is. So I'm done on, on that subject. I, uh, sorry for taking so much time. It's an important uh, subject to us. 
The last topic, um, I want to, even though I had up some other emails on, on not this topic, but on others, I want to specifically uh, mention a name, if I may, Bill Cull. And Bill sent us an email that uh, was a lengthy email. And uh, I believe it's fair to say that the email was very complimentary uh, about what we're doing. But it also pointed out um, what I think was a very valid point. And the point that Bill made was that um, it's a difficult concept to understand that a final card grade could be lower than any of the four subscores. And that was a possibility the way we presented subscores. The reason for that is we don't use subscores in scoring. They're artificially generated, we thought, for the benefit of the industry to get an idea of what those subscores were. Our, our card grades are based on 83 different scoring attributes, all of those attributes uh, being rolled up into ultimately a card grade. And um, they're not intended to be split out prior to determining a card grade uh, as a single corner score. There's too many factors. That, that impact a card grade. A card grade is a compounding effect of all of those subscores. You can't just look at each subscore as an individual score. So we knew that this dilemma existed when we, when we uh, put subscores on. And at first we said, we're not doing subscores. After all, there's a lot of grading companies, some of the most prominent that don't give subscores. So we said, let's just go with what we think is the industry norm. We're not going to give the subscores, nobody could object to that. And we were really unhappy with that because we think subscores play a vital part in differentiating cards when you're using a thousand point scale. If you're not using a thousand point scale, I would say they're less in, uh, uh, influential in that determination, less impactful. So we did not want to show all of the actual subscore data because we thought that um, to do so, there's eight subscore data points that we use. <clears throat> and we thought that if we showed all of that, it might reveal a little too much of our what, what our proprietary technology does. And we decided just to, for, for safety reasons, to say we're not going to present that much information. Basically, hell with the industry that they can't figure it out too bad. So very short-sighted on our part, and we've now changed and we are giving uh, the kind of information that is very meaningful to the card grade. It's all auto-generated. Uh, um, given enough cards, it's possible somebody could back up into some of our scoring uh, algorithms. It would take a lot of data. Um, but nevertheless, we want to do what we think is best for the industry. So Bill, thank you for pointing that out. And uh, I hope you, you see that when people tell us something that they think we should consider, we do carefully consider it and, and we, we, we respond accordingly. Um, the, uh, um, I want to make sure that everybody understands our card grade was never represented to be a roll-up of front and back or, or four subscores or take the average of these or weight these four scores. Our scores, we give you all the information in the detailed image and grading report. Our card grade comes from all of that data that's down below, not, not that little thing up here. 
So um, we're not changing anything. Our scores remain unchanged. Our, our, there's, we didn't make a single programming change to, uh, to our system, but we are showing uh, a little more data. I think that's it, Jeremy. Just uh, a thank you again. Um, I hope I was able to clear up. I, I, I will tell you that we have had so many emails, so many responses that are, are positive. I wish I could give people the list of how many people have said, stop wasting my time with, with these uh, shows. Just tell me how much it is and tell me where to send my cards. I've had, uh, I've had people email me and tell me that they've never graded a card before, don't believe in grading, and they've changed their mind and they want to go with us. I've had people write me and tell me that they have been long-term graders with other grading companies that um, they would never have considered ever changing uh, that relationship. They now ask me to grade some cards of theirs so that they could see them in the slabs. And uh, they, so I won't go into all of the details, but thank everybody for being so patient with us, allowing us to tell our story at our pace, allowing us to, to and, and giving us the respect to, to let us believe it's okay to show you pieces of this as we build it up so that we're confident you understand everything that we're doing. It's not a sales job, it's an education job. Uh, it's a painstaking process for us to get here. And uh, we feel that this time in these episodes has been well spent for us. So thank you very much. I, I think we're gonna head on out. Is that what the next uh, plan is? Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to take you and Scott. So, by the way, everybody, if you're just tuning in, this is Steve Cass. He's the founder and CEO of TAG, uh, not Scott, whose name is on the screen. Scott is our featured guest tonight and he'll be he'll be joining us shortly. I'm going to just uh, do a little bit of a uh, summary of what we've been through so far. And uh, then we're going to bring Scott and Greg back on the screen and we're going to we're going to go from there and uh, get through the program for tonight, which will include looking at the grading system. The, 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 we're actually going to have a mobile uh, a mobile camera that's going to take us through uh, the grading of a card, I believe, and show us the whole process. So we'll get to that. But Steve, um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, and I, I really like the I really like how you know we're 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 taking time, and you're taking time to come on and address concerns, questions, comments praise, all the different things that we're hearing from, from the hobby, that you're hearing from the hobby, uh, to, to address them. And um, this is what the hobby wants, is, uh, is a good, interactive, communicative, responsive uh, grading company. So uh, thanks for coming on and doing that. Thank you. Everybody, you send me a negative complaint. I respect it. Send it to me with your name. Uh, I will I will respond. I will answer it. If it doesn't have your name, uh, I'm not going to respond. Yeah. And let me just say, Steve, before you go, that if anyone, you know, if anyone has any further comments, and I've seen some in the chat, we're not going to address them right now, have any further comments on counterfeit detection um, or the vintage card policy, the resub policy that Steve did come on this uh, at the beginning here to address, reach out to TAG and, uh, and I'm sure you'll hear from Steve uh, directly. Thank sure. you, Steve. Thanks. All right. So uh, thanks to Steve for that. Again, I do, I do really like that they that they just listen and Bill Cull, who who's in the chat right now, I saw um, provided some, you know, here, here's some here's something that I just wanna say, this doesn't apply to only tag, this applies to every company in the hobby and every hobbyist out there. You know, if you are going to criticize or be skeptical 
of, of, a, of a company or service in the hobby or any industry, really. I think you're going to get a lot more, uh, you're going to be more satisfied with the reply you get if you do it in a respectable and constructive manner and even potentially provide some of your thoughts on how to resolve the issue versus just coming out swinging. So um, thanks for, thanks Steve for that. So again, everybody, this is episode four of the, of the five episode tag reveal. Episode one, we met Steve Cass. I recommend you go back if you haven't watched that yet. That was a nice episode. We got to meet him and hear all about his history and why he started Tag in the first place. Episode two, we met three members of the management team. We went over some of the things that differentiate Tag from other grading companies, although the episodes three and four are going to do that as well. Episode three, we did see the digital imaging and the digital image and grading report. They called the DIG. We saw the population report. And uh, today's episode is about the system itself, the 1,000 point grading scale. We heard about the approach to counterfeit detection. We will, and we'll hear about that more as the episode goes on. We're going to finally get to see TAG's grading system in action. This is transparency in our hobby as far as grading goes at its absolute finest. We're going to meet Scott Maxwell. He is TAG's chief operations officer. He is a lifelong collector. He has eight years of professional grading experience with the hobby's leading manual grading company. He also has 14 years of experience at a, as a sports card consultant, as well as some people at TAG, as I mentioned, are going to walk us through the system. So we will get to see that. And um, I mean, here we go. TAG is really the only company to show us how they actually grade a card. And, uh, and I can't wait to see that again and to be able to show it to all of you. All right, let's bring on tonight's featured guest. They've been waiting for a while back there. First out, we have Scott Maxwell, and let's bring out Greg Harrison. Scott, Scott, I want to welcome you to the show for the first time. I know a lot of your, your colleagues and fellow co-founders and senior management have been on the show. And Greg, you were on last week. Welcome back to you. Before we get to you, Greg, I want to get to know, I want, I want, I know Scott a little bit now, but I want the, uh, the audience to get to know Scott because he is certainly a key member of TAG. So Scott, it's your first time on the show. You've been behind the scenes helping uh, your, your colleagues with the first three episodes so far. I mentioned it briefly, what your experience is, but uh, let's hear it from you. What is, can you take us through your hobby background and your, your, your grading experience? Yeah, absolutely. First off, thank you for uh, having me on the show. I'm, I'm glad I finally uh, get to participate in, in, in these calls. Uh, excited to, to be a part of it. Great um, to have you. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a lifelong collector. I I started collecting cards when I was nine, ten years old. Um, I, I went into a Toys R Us with my dad and uh, bought a rack pack of 1988 tops, and uh, was was hooked ever since. Uh, we, we'd go and and find those little 35, 45 cent rack packs and buy ten or twelve of them at a time, and I started putting my collection together. Um, and and it it just you know snowballed from there. I uh, from from 88 to about 98 every penny i could get my hands on was was spent on on a baseball card or a hockey card um yes i do collect hockey um, nice nice I, I love it i wish my camera was showcasing some of my uh, memorabilia but uh, may, maybe later um yeah I, I i i accumulated uh, uh over the course of the first 10 12 years uh, of collecting roughly 300 400 000 cards um and 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 just fell in love with it. I, I still in love with the hobby. Um, you know, from from there, it, it it opened up the opportunity to work at one of the uh, major grading companies 
uh, in business today. I spent uh, just over eight years there uh, grading cards professionally, um, looked at a lot of cards, got to travel to a lot of neat places, do some on-site grading, met a lot of uh, uh, unbelievable people uh, within the industry and, and kind of got my appetite wet for, for what was on, on the outside. Um, after, after leaving that grading company, I started my own business as a, a consultant to uh, high-end collectors and, and dealers alike. Um, spent a lot of time looking at, at, at graded cards, looking at raw cards, offering advice on what, what cards should they put their money into, what, what cards are worth buying in slabs, which ones are uh, better served outside the slabs. And, and, and like I said, just spent, spent the good part of the last 10, 12 years um, consulting for, for my clients. Um, along with that uh, came the opportunity to, to work with TAG. I um, met Steve almost nine years ago now. Um, we, we talked about cards. We, we met for lunch, spent about two, two and a half hours talking about Mickey Mantle rookies, talking about pre-war cards, talking about modern cards, just getting to know each other. And uh, at, at that point, uh, he, he asked me about this business, about technology. What, what were my thoughts about uh, what could be done in the industry to better it? And, and, and I was on board and I've been working with TAG almost full time ever since um, building, building what we're about to show you today. Awesome. Well, I mean, listen, I, I've, I have spent time with you in person. We have, we have spent time uh, on Zoom calls as I, as I prepare for these episodes. And um, it's it's clear to me that you're a, you're a true professional. You've got great experience uh, in terms of grading cards. Uh, you know, even as far as just being able to tell if a card is authentic from touch, just just like I can on on yeah. many cards, not all cards. Again, as Steve said, I don't know that anyone's perfect at that. Certainly, there's no company out there today that's perfect at it. We know that just from from the reason why you why well. We, we just know we just know that there that, that yeah, yeah. The, the touch and the feel is a big thing and and when you've looked at as many cards as we have jeremy i know personally i've i've graded over three million cards whether it be you know looking at cards for for collectors uh through my consulting business buying and selling cards myself the cards that i graded while with uh, uh, the grading company i i've looked at millions of cards and uh you know that that expertise goes a long way into what we've done here Someone just asked, what's the major grading company you worked for? I don't think there's any harm in saying that. Um, do you want to let everybody know yeah. what company you did work for? Um, yeah, I mean, if, 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 you, if you're not uh, opposed to it, I, I don't think I am either. It's been, it's been 13 years since, since I've been there. I, I did work for, for PSA. And you were there for eight years? Eight, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, I think it's important. And, uh, you know, I like the, I like the approach for, uh, you know, there's, that, that's just a, a another aspect of transparency here. So yeah, absolutely. I, I, think it, no, I, yeah. I, uh, I 100% agree. And I mean, you know, PSA has a great reputation in our hobby as as far as manual grading goes. And I think it uh, I think it speaks a it speaks a lot to your experience. And uh, and so it's fair to comment on that. Um, OK, anything else, Scott, before we, we move on? Um, no, I, th I think that's it. Unless uh, you have any other questions of, about my background, I'm, I'm excited to uh, have the guys show you uh, what, what we got going on here. Okay. Okay. No, I, I have no more questions and I think it's great uh, that everybody, not everybody watching, um, has met you and, uh, has a good idea about your, 
uh, experience in the hobby. And um, and again, I just want to you know reiterate and emphasize as a lifelong collector who who's looked at I don't know I, I can't I I can't say I've looked at three million cards, but I've definitely looked at uh, tens of thousands of them. And uh, I just I have a lot of respect for you as a collector and as an assessor of cards. Even when I was when I had a tour of the facility, I could tell the way you handled cards, the way you looked at them. When we looked at a couple of cards together, that you have a real keen eye. So, um, Thank you. so yeah, great great to have you on the show, Scott. Okay, now that we got to know you, we got to meet Greg last week. We're gonna I believe we're gonna get a walk through a walk through of the grading system. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. I don't know exactly how we're going to do this. I think I think we might be ready to go. But before we do that, Greg, I brought you on, and you're sitting there not saying anything. Anything you'd like to add to what's been said so far before we we have a look at the grading system? Well, yeah, I think the first thing I would say is, um, you know, we wouldn't be here today without Scott, right? Having you know his immense experience in card grading um, has been right a, a key underpinning of the entire system right and you can't get to an automated you know grading system right without understanding how and, and representing cards in industry standard grading terms right without really having this kind of knowledge brought to the table by somebody like scott so yeah, yeah. and, and the, as, considering the amount of time scott and i've spent together in the last two years uh yeah we're practically brothers i spend more time with him than his than his wife i think sometimes so and I think that, that's interesting because Greg, you're the you're the lead architect building the system, and Scott is your conduit to understanding mm -hmm. how card grading works. So, yeah, exactly. so I think that's uh, I think that's really really interesting and good good stuff right there. Okay, so with that, I can see we have uh, we have a couple people from Tag guys. I see you back there. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? They can hear me. Uh, Scott, are we going to them now? Yeah, Jeremy, Steve and I are going to uh, walk out and meet those guys and, and we'll start the uh, the walkthrough of the, the operations here. Awesome. I'm going to, I'm, okay, go ahead. I'll let you, you're going to step away? Yes. Okay, I'm going to remove your screen for now so we have more, uh, more screen real estate like that. And uh, I can see them in the, in the green room there. I'm going to just bring them up. I'm just going to open up right there. Gentlemen, how are you? Hi, Jeremy. How are you doing? Oh, good. I can hear you really well. A little echoey, but I think we're pretty good. I like we're calling this camera the tag facility. Yeah. Um, that's that's great. Good to see you. So here we have um, uh, we have we have we have Mark and we have Michael. We have Mark on the right, Michael on the left. These guys are these guys are twins, and uh, I'll tell you, for the first few weeks I knew them. It was I, I was like, okay, I always have to remember which one is which, like you do with twins, but I think I, I think I got it nailed down now. You got it. We've got um, Scott and Steve joining us here. Uh, we were just gonna do it, Michael's gonna take it, um, but we're gonna basically do a brief walkthrough of the operation. So I'm gonna step behind the camera and kind of push it uh, so that you get the real feel of the walkthrough. So right now we'll we'll start our receiving, but right now what you're looking at is the tag lobby area. So Mark, if you come follow me. I feel like I'm on MTV Cribs here, Gary. <laughs> um, but uh, here's our security guard here. Uh, to, to my right, thank you for keeping us safe. Um, let's uh, venture over here now to uh, receiving area. So this is where, you know, Ben X drops off. Um, what you're looking at, a lot of these boxes here are a lot of our elite members. Uh, and as you, we continue to walk down here, 
Hey guys, everyone say hi to uh, Jeremy Sports Card Live audience. Okay, cool. So uh, here unboxing. So um, like we went over in episode two, um, Carlos is unboxing the tag safe case, the deck boxes, um, uh, and then loading the cards into the tag shields and sleeves. He's uh, putting the process ID um, uh, label onto the, the process ID bin. Um, and then he puts it on the, the completed rack here. We have Kiki doing the same thing. Um, and then right here, we have the card ID labeling team. Becker and Jessica, guys say hi. Um, so what they're doing, essentially this is our first line of defense, right? So if a, if a, if a customer uh, for illustrative purposes types in a, a, a Topps 2011 Mike Trout update, a red, but really they submitted a green, they'll catch it here. Um, in addition to obviously the ICM, which has OCR technology. Um, um, let me let me jump in quick. ICM OCR, please explain. Yeah, yeah. Image capture modular um, yeah. and then optical character recognition. So the technology will automatically identify if the if it's a red refractor, if it's a green refractor, so on and so forth. Um, so from here, I'll, I'll let uh, I think Mark and Scott take over. Um, we're gonna. Uh, go over here to the ICM, um, the tag technology, and they're going to demonstrate that for you guys. Yeah, so right. as I said, out of receiving, um, the bins placed here, the rack is, this is this is Justin, our image capture specialist, and he basically, this is his to-do list for the entire day. Every uh, bit, this is, uh, you know, each part is individually labeled, and so you can see one every time I steal one, Justin. You can see that it's labeled with a QR code. And he's image capturing cards there. We'll, we'll demo it again, but you can see each card has a QR code. He'll scan it so that the computer knows what um, it can retrieve from our database what what card it uh, wants to expect. Um, the, the ICM. When Mike talks about the ICM, this is the the ICM. It's our image capture module. It's our machine. It's the photometric stereoscopic imaging system, and so. You can see there's an automated actuator that Justin just triggered with the, the right switch. The left switch um, engages suction. Um, we, are, we have a, a specific configuration on the bottom of that nest you can see there that allows for up to 12 CFM of suction that we can get uh, all our cards that need to be completely flat. We can get even the most warped cards to be perfectly flat so that they're completely perpendicular to the, uh, to the camera itself. And you can't see it, but inside there we have very specifically measured out components. There's focal lengths. There's um, computer fans in the back, which are pushing positive air out towards the operator, so that there's no debris on the top of the card. Um, there's no debris in the system itself. Um, and then I, actually, you can see there in the top right, over his uh, computer, there's a, a camera, and they those cameras are our insurance uh, cameras basically, and they follow the card through our entire process. There were some in receiving, there will be there's some as we move forward to verification quality assurance. So what Justin's doing there is image capturing. Um, after he completes an entire order, the bin will go onto the rack, which is then retrievable by verification one or verification two, and they simply begin uh, the process of verification. At this point, the card is is, is rated. All the, the data is extracted and it's rated and it's passed on for further uh, uh, detailing there as you go that way. Um, 
Yeah, so then I'll pass it off to Greg and Scott to, to go into further detail about um, verification. And by the way, this is Richard, and he's inspecting a card there. He will have, um, every computer will have their, you know, operations portal up so that each card is tracked and timestamped with each of these uh, little QR code readers, 1D, 2D barcode scanners. So we have these, sorry, Richard, <laughs> we have those at every single station with, uh, throughout the facility. So I'm going to pass through. Greg and Scott, do you guys want to, before we uh, move forward, do you want to? Yeah, I think, I think that kind of shows the, 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 the first two uh, aspects of, of grading the card, going into image capture after it's been unboxed and card labeled, and then the process of verification, again, where our operators are uh, using certain technologies to uh, verify whether or not the system has accurately identified uh, all surface defects, including edge and corner defects. Um, I'm going to hop back into the office, Jeremy, and from there, um, maybe I can do a screen share and and kind of go into a deep dive of the tag operations portal uh, and, and verification process. Sounds good, Scott. Thank you. And thank you, Mark and Matt, for taking us through the facility. That's, uh, I mean, let's look at that. Look at that image, everybody. I mean, I, I don't know if, I don't know if we've ever seen the inside of, a, <laughs> of an operation uh, that looks this organized and sophisticated. Thank you, Jeremy. I guess while while we wait for Scott to go back to his office and uh, pull up basically in much greater detail what's happening at verification, this is you're entering now the UV marking station. So um, here is where we would engage a, a print job. Um, there are 20 slabs located in here. Four of these printers would be connected and, and get us to a very, very expedited uh, speed of, of, of you know, card it, uh, getting cards out. And by the way, Steve is here as well. Do you want to turn the camera? Cameos. So out of this printer, we've, I've already prepped a few uh, labels, um, but how, how this process works basically is there's a small label underneath so that we know one through 20 each, what, uh, what each slab is. And it corresponds to uh, labels that have been printed in receiving, right? So you lift this, what's called a fixture or a jig. You lift it out of here. We take it over to assembly. And then basically this is our light box and the deionizer here. This is the process with which we assemble the cards, make sure everything's clean. Uh, and so I have a few uh, cards here that I can uh, clean and weld for you guys unless Mark. Let me just. I just wanna. I just wanna jump in and clarify for a moment. So that tray that you just lifted out, that was a tray of of slabs upon which the 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 flip detail is printed, right? Yeah. So that is a that is how they print right on the slab itself, and uh, and then that becomes one. That's one half of the slab overall. Correct. This is the bottom piece, which is the the uh, UV cured. And then that piece, basically, it's just matching. So for example, I have a deliberately a Steph Curry here. Congrats to the Warriors for all of the Warrior fans out there. Right? It says on here, slot two. So all I need to do is know that 
slot two, slot two, I would pull it out of here, pull it out of here, and, and weld it. And I can do that unless it's got um, and you also mentioned the deionizer. You pointed to the deionizer. Can you just speak a little bit more to that and what its purpose is, what its function is? So the function is to eliminate any debris that may be on the slab after UV curing or, uh, sorry, UV marking or on the cart or on the, uh, the top slab. So the bottom slab is here and the top slab, we place the cart in in inside and then make them and then weld with this ultrasonic welder here to the right. So I'll okay. basically the deionizing uh, the here, I can basically blast the entire bed while, while all of these are, are in here. And notice that everybody wears, wears gloves. I, I don't know if you saw, but we're pretty strict about making sure everybody wears gloves, especially if they're handling any part or any any slash as well. So this, Jeremy, essentially the deionizer neutralizes the, the, the static charge. So there, there's no debris or particulates that are being attracted, right, to the slab and to the raw card itself. And there's and there's no cards there while you're blasting that deionizer at it, just to be just to be clear. That's simply half a slab that is being uh, targeted by the deionizer. Okay. Correct. Great. Good stuff. Um, anything else in the facility tour you guys want to show at this time? There's a couple of questions that have come up, but we'll uh, we'll answer those. Um, we'll get Scott and Greg to address the questions that I've seen come up in the, uh, and there's some really good ones in here. Okay, but yeah, I'll just quickly show that um, the, top, the top slab is also deionized and we place everything on this light box so that we can very clearly see. Sorry, can you hear me? Better so not to blow. <laughs> um, if any, if there are any particulates on any piece of slab prior to weld, so this is another basically a quality assurance step in in the welding and assembly process. Yeah, we you know you often see people uh, posting slab cards on social media with various foreign substances or or hair or whatever it might be inside a slab and uh, these guys aren't going to let that happen is my understanding correct we, we're going to certainly uh do our best to ensure not, no particulates are inside your tag slab what's so that I, big machine right to your right there this is the ultrasonic welder so now that i've assembled it it's not uh completely welded together i'll take it over here there's a custom nest and horn that we've had made to fit specifically each each slab. I insert it into the nest, actuate the uh, the welder. That short little screech you hear means that the tag slab has been welded. And so listen, I've I've been uh, I've been at card shows where you where grading companies have been set up, and you hear a super high pitch every time a card or a slab is welded, and it, it can hurt your ears. And it's hurt. Like I remember being set up near one one year, and it was like I, I can't be set up there again. And uh, when I was at the facility, I was so impressed with how little sound there was from your machine. Can you talk to that at all? Um, well, it's a yeah. I mean, we've dialed it in. There's a lot of different metrics that go into the welder. Um, there's pressure gauges. There's collapse length of of, of the uh, in in fractions of inches. Um, there's time settings there's just so many things that go into dialing this in 
And when it really is dialed in, it doesn't have to be a pain, painful uh, uh, a noise. And plus we have a, a casing over it, which reduces it. Plus the, uh, the grading operations, it's all open ceiling. Um, it's a large room, so all the noise gets absorbed. So it's a, a combination of all those different factors. Very cool, okay. Wait, as we just to finish wrap up, this Foley bag that I removed the bottoms, the top flap from, this welded part goes now back in here to protect it as it goes back into the bin so that that bin then goes on the completed rack and that rack goes down to receive uh, shipping. And in shipping, we have the slabbed image capture and the uh, wax wrap, which we've demoed on uh, episode two. Yeah. Um, if you opt in for that, that happens in, in shipping as well. So this right. is done. That is a slab part. All right, guys. Is that it then for the tour for the facility tour? Uh, yes, I believe, and then we'll kick it over to uh, to Scott and Greg to basically go back to the verification and grading steps so that we can really take a deep dive in that section. All right, all right, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's see now. Uh, got you on the big screen, Greg. Let me just switch to that view. Scott, you're back. You've been Scott. By the way, you've been you've been on for the last few minutes. I think you probably aware of that. Um, before we get on to the program, there are a couple of questions that have been coming in to the chat. I think we should address them. Uh, Wiz Collectible says, does the ICM remove any fingerprints from the card along with dust debris? We've definitely spoken to dust debris. Is there anything that, that uh, Scott, that you can speak to with, re with respect to fingerprints on the card? No, the ICM won't automatically remove any fingerprints. Our operators will will do a quick wipe on on the Chrome stock cards and even some of the the more glossy uh, modern cards um, to to try to eliminate the fingerprint issue uh, on the cards. Uh, I I would say you know I, I'd like to leave it up to the submitter to make sure that their cards are fingerprint free when when submitting, but we'll do our best to uh, try to eliminate those. Obviously, anytime we're interacting with the cards. That, that brings into the possibility of, of damaging cards and, and clearly we want to avoid that, so. Okay, appreciate that. The other question that came up a few times, uh, people were saying that uh, it looks like too many times the card is being removed from a sleeve and put back in. Before I let you address that, Scott, and I know that uh, someone from TAG did make a comment in the chat, I just want to say that when I was talking to Scott, I don't remember when this was, but we, we were talking about the staff and he said that uh, he said that one of the things that and I hope you don't mind me saying this Scott I don't think you will but I think one of the things that you you look at is how do people handle cards and uh, I think that's a, a great and that comes just from experience and knowing how to handle a card can you speak to the the within the process how often a card is removed from a sleeve and put back in yeah absolutely First off, um, all of our operators, uh, but before they're hired, they, they come in and take a grading assessment test or an assessment. Um, that's more for me to, like you said, verify how, how they handle the cards. Are they able to take cards out of penny sleeves, out of card savers without uh, damaging the card? Um, and, and that's a big part of, of the hiring process. As Steve's alluded to, we don't really go out and actively pursue grading experts for, for the process. We're, we're looking for passionate collectors, people that know how to handle cards, but are observant and are able to make, um, just able to make quick decisions on 
Oh, sorry, my screen just logged out here. Um, I got you still. <laughs> give me, give me one second. Anyway, I'll, I'll get to this in a second. Um, as far as the operators go, um, you know, we're, we're looking for people who who can make observations, make make decisions on, um, you know, whether or not the system accurately identified the surface defects. Um, as far as the cards being removed from the sleeves, I don't think we're removing it any any more times than any of the other grading companies. Uh, it should just be three times that a card is removed from a card saver and penny sleeve. Once into the image capture, once for verification, and the last time as it goes into the slab. Okay, great. And are you are you confident that those steps, that there's no damage done to the card uh, with each of those uh, removal and, and, and reinsert? Yeah, absolutely. Again, the, the the people that we've hired to to be in that area of our operations are people that that we've deemed to be very good at, at handling cards, very careful, um, and aren't aren't trying to to do things too quickly. Uh, we have a very quick process. There's there's no point for anybody within the operations to um, to try to speed things up. Um, they're they're going to take their time and handle your cards appropriately. And then right. keep in mind, we also have the cameras uh, that, that are there to to watch for this. So we'll have, you know, in-house uh, ability to to monitor all the operators. And if, if we do notice cards are uh, coming back damaged, people are complaining about cards, we'll be able to go back, check the cameras. And, and if there's any more training necessary for somebody, we could easily implement uh, uh, such a thing. Okay, good stuff. All right, uh, Greg, anything uh, anything you've seen in the last few minutes that you'd like to comment on? Yeah, I think what the, the first thing that dawned on me is how far we've come, right? Um, you know, uh, you, you've you've been able to see in in this series what the current production environment looks like, and um, I'll probably get a smirk out of Scott because, you know, that is the end product of a long series of prototyping right from kind of the early form of the image capture station being you know very much like a construction you know like an erector set kind of uh you know uh, setup right um we had to dial in so many elements about appropriate positioning of lighting of camera placement um of stage placement of you know locations of the various components within the icm um all of those you know had to be essentially you know tried out right and dialed in over the course of time and you know with this vision that eventually we'd get to a you know manufactured or um i forget the word i'm looking for but you know a, a set of system components that are now solid state right there's no more dialing in loosening this adjusting this you know uh the compositing of all of those um elements in the icm right is now just a a cut and dried manufactured set of equipment. Um, so that allows for high precision and, and replicability, but it's just amazing for me to see, you know, all of the equipment right in action, even though we're kind of subscale in terms of the people that we had on to showcase you today, imagine that whole room filled with people mm -hmm. and how loud, right. And active that environment looks when we're in full production. Yeah. One of the questions I also saw that came through was like, how many, like, how long does it take to run a card through the image capture machine? How many image capture machines are there? And another question, I mean, it's been discussed, but uh, 
I think, uh, it, you know, someone was asking about, um, well, I think I lost the comment here. Uh, oh, it was JP who, who basically uh, asked if there would, if the system would one day allow remote grading, which, uh, which has been addressed in their pod system. The answer to that, JP, um, as Steve mentioned earlier today and in prior episodes, is yes, there, there is the ability for this remote grading. Although it's not remote grading, it's more remote image capture and slabbing. The grading always happens uh, at TAG, as, as we've learned in the past. Um, okay, where do you guys want to go next with this now? Where What's the next step here, fellas? Um, I'm going to pull up uh, our TAG operations portal, and, and like I said, we'll, we'll kind of dive into what our verification QA operator will um, would see and, and how they, they'd go about their process of, of verifying uh, whether or not the system spit out an accurate uh, grade. All right. You, While he's getting... Want me to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you. That's the no-no. Um, yeah, I think just to buy him a second to log in and get in there. I, the, the reason why we wanted to show you this was to give you, again, a little bit more transparency about um, you know how this process works um to answer your earlier question or uh jeremy about the duration i think you got a, a pretty quick look at that on the imaging station process you saw the operator put the card in the lights flashing the actuators you know functioning right and it's really an in and an out flip the card in and out and they're able to move on and position the next card so it's a fairly rapid process everything that happens after that right is um a system of processing right um that occurs by virtue of automation right so that all of the image data taken from those series of captures right is submitted to back-end processing that analyzes and like we've talked about previously generates thousands of data points right on the uh card images themselves and a a, a large number of variants of those images are generated for various purposes. Um, most most laypersons can can think about your traditional full color image, and then think about grayscale, right, um, and cropping and things like this. But we apply a whole series, you know, a, a very broad variety of techniques um, with regards to image processing um, and and methods that allow us to get to a very high resolution, um, build a very high resolution picture of the condition of corners, edges, surface, things like that. And that's a little bit what we're going to talk about today. And what Scott is going to bring up now are some of the tool sets that our verification operators use to view the output of that process. And again, I think it's very important for everybody to understand that by the time it gets to this verification operator, that grading process has been completed. Right. And, you know, as Steve would say, there is no person in the middle here. Right. So the, the grading process itself, you saw it. The card went in, it came out, it got flipped, it went in, it came out. And at that point, uh, the processing begins. And by the time it gets over to the verification station, the verifiers are there at this point in the evolution of TAG to ensure quality. Right. To ensure that at this point of the operation of the systems, we have chosen to ensure that every card at least for the next few months, every card coming out of the system has been reviewed, right? From a scoring perspective, from an observational perspective, right? To ensure quality, right? Anything that doesn't meet, right? Anything that throws 
any kind of concern or escalation is something that's going to be flagged in that QA portal, right, to be investigated further. All right. Thanks, Greg. Great, great information. Thank you for that. Um, Scott, before before we uh, share your screen and go through that, are there any other questions that you saw come in uh, from the chat that you would like to address? Because I know there's been several. Um, I've had a hard time keeping up with them, Jeremy, to be honest with you. Um, was, was there anything you saw that uh, that stood out? Well, I can I can pull up a couple of them here. Um, you know, we've got we've got Oscar, Dad and Dave Bolaton are are, uh, are throwing out a bunch of questions here. Um, so I'm going to go to uh, Dave here says, in my mind, I had the automated scanner grading machine feeding immediately into a slab automated. It looks very similar to other grading processes I've seen. And I think one of the problems is people oftentimes have their own ideas of how things work, and that's often not how things work. So um, just because it was in, in in someone's mind, like like yours, Dave, um, you know, obviously you're not in the grading business. So, or well, you're not in the automated grading business. So I think it it uh, it's worthwhile to let. Scott, address this. I don't think there's really much of a comment here, but if there's anything you'd like to say to it, Scott, uh, please go ahead. Or I can, I can comment to that. I, you know, again, today you're seeing a manual transition from uh, the 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 process of imaging back into the sleeve, into the order bin, back to the verification station, um, and then from the verification station to the uh, slabbing station. You know, I think it's only a matter of time before there continues to be an evolution there to introduce more automation, right? Yeah. Technically speaking, there is no need, right, for a you know a, a person to manually take that card and transition that into, um, you know, the slabs themselves. Um, it's just that at this point in the evolution, um, and from a cost perspective, we want to you know. We want to build up these processes and make sure everything is working functionally correctly before we then apply automation technology to then, you know, take that out of the hands of a physical operator. And I, I would ask, you know, what what grading company, Dave, um, are are you familiar with their process? You know, I I'd like to think of our process as being completely unique. Our system is is identifying defects, the area, the width, the the length, the size. Um, the region, there's so many different scoring attributes that play into our final grade. Um, I would I would have to disagree that that we're like any other uh, grading process. There's there's no human interaction when it comes to what the final determination uh, of the grade is. Yeah, I think I think at some point the card has to make its way through a process, and that is where there are humans that are involved. There there's not we don't have. Uh, we're not seeing robots that are moving these cards through the system. And uh, maybe that's kind of like Game Time Gallery says, I thought the process was more automated. I guess the automation is in the grading software. And I believe that's exactly right. Um, there's, there's, there's no, there are no robots. I didn't see any robots when I visited the facility. Uh, M Perk says it's a higher level of transparency than I've seen out of a grading company, which is, which is impressive on its own. I definitely agree with that comment. Um, and uh, let's see if there's something else here that, that's uh, worth bringing up here. Um, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I think, well, I'm not going to sit here and scan the comments. I don't have anything marked ready to go uh, at this point. So I don't want to just have you all watch me read comments. Instead, let's go back to, uh, to you, Scott. Are you ready for the screen share? 
Um, I'm, I'm getting there. Let me uh, let me find the order I want to uh, demonstrate here for you guys, which uh, included that Steph Curry card. Um, sure. While you're doing that, uh, maybe Greg, you can answer. How does how does how long does the software take to calculate the grade of a card? Yeah. Um, so currently, anywhere between 15 to 35 seconds. Um, the processing varies based on some elements of the topology of the card, um, some characteristics of the card. Uh, in that processing, in that software, there can be a number of iterations run on the imagery uh, that is generated from the card uh, uh, capture, card image capture process. Uh, so I would say on average, somewhere between 15 to 35 seconds, depending on the card type. All but right. that also, you know, that scales from a, you know, that scales, um, without human without the need for humans right so essentially the 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 system ultimately can process as many cards as the team of card imaging specialists can put cards through the system okay i appreciate that thank you very much um okay so back to you scott are you ready now for yeah, the yeah let me here? uh let me share the screen here um it's the first time i've shared screen in, in this platform jeremy so forgive me if i uh, take a little longer than usual. I just need you to reshare your screen, please. Yep. And I'm ready. You ready now? Yes. All right. So there is your screen and I'll let you, uh, it's a little hard to see. It's a little small. If you could maybe zoom if you need to, if not, I'm just going to let you uh, run with it. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me zoom in for everybody here. Oops. Sorry. How's that look? A little better? That's a lot better, yeah. Thank okay. you. Um, so here you're looking at the tag operations portal. Um, this is where the operator will get all of the uh, relevant order information. And as you'll see, uh, card card details, card uh, images, uh, all, all the stuff that they're going to use to uh, verify whether or not the system uh, proper, properly uh, gave the card the right grade. Um, so you'll see here, uh, we have all the cards in the order. Um, after the card is image captured and goes to the verification operator, um, he would simply just click uh, the verify button here, which would take him to the uh, tag operations, excuse me, the tag QA interface, um, or the card details pages we'd like to see. So here on the left, again, you'll see all the cards within the order that need to be verified. Um, the image populates uh, in this area here. Uh, you get the final card grade up in the top right. As I scroll down, here's where you'll see all the relevant card information, including player name, card number, uh, parallel, uh, etc. cetera. Um, again, this isn't, this area here, the, the score grading summary, this is all the raw data that the, the system spits out, all the summary attribute scores all the, the final front back scores. And, and you see here again, the 941, the final card grade. This is uh, all the information that, that everybody sees in our detailed image and grading report that we uh, uh, previewed last, last episode. Um, so all, all this information is available to the operator. Uh, he also has high resolution images of the corners and edges as, as he scrolls down. If he's so inclined or she, um, they can click this display measurement annotations button. This, 
this button displays all relevant measured artifacts as far as fill and fray go on the corners and edges. Um, we highly recommend that they use this tool. This, this kind of uh, might display some outliers that, that might need to be flagged uh, uh, for, for escalation. Um, below each image, you'll see all of the summary attribute scores associated with that top left corner, top right corner, bottom, uh, top left back, top right back, et cetera. Um, they're scrolling down, they're trained to scroll down and look at all this data and look for those outliers. As they're scrolling, if they happen to see something that looks out of place, they can, they can click on the image to uh, view a, a downloadable high resolution image of that particular uh, aspect of the card. In this case, we pulled up the back top, or I'm sorry, the back left edge. Um, here, they'll be able to zoom in and, and, and see high resolution images of fray artifacts uh, here identified with the blue circles. Um, again, all, all data that represents um, an edge score. Um, you'll see a large artifact here um, identified um, as they scroll down. Again, just a, a lot of data at their uh, disposal. Um, here they're also looking for instances like this. This is a great example where um, you know, the system does not indicate that this is fray because it's not attached to a card. So the capability of um, removing any artifacts that aren't uh, associated with the card. Um, so they would take a look here and, and make a decision on whether or not this particular card needs to be escalated for any certain reason. Um, as they continue to scroll, if, if they deem that uh, this card, the, the card attributes for the corners and edges uh, fit the bill, they would come down to uh, this, this bottom portion here, which is the surface defect uh, table. This is, this is where they're going to spend most of their time looking at cards, looking at images of, of the front and back of the card to ensure that the system uh, accurately identified uh, all surface defects. Um, here on this card, this particular Nikola Jokic card, you'll see the system identified two defects, um, both on the back, um, as notated here by the side, and there's a, a print line and a pit. And I can tell you from, from looking at these deductions here, these are going to be two good examples of what we like to call NHODs, NHODs, or non-human observable defects. Um, I'm going to click here to the back image, which is where the defects are located, and it will pull up um, a downloadable image that we can scroll into in very high definition, high resolution, I'm sorry. Um, there were two defects. I'll scroll into one. There's uh, a defect here on the top portion of the card. And I could see from my view before scrolling in, it's a lot more clear than, than what we're seeing here on the zoomed in version. Um, but for screen share purposes, I don't think I can have it at any less uh, resolution without your audience being able to see what we're looking at. Um, so if you guys are able to see, there's a very faint line running horizontally right below the, uh, the, the red writing here, which annotates uh, the ID in the region. We can um, see I'll, get into, I'll get into regional scoring in a, in a few seconds. Um, but a, a very faint print line, again, something that, this is something that isn't visible to, to the human eye, but is something that the system is able to detect. Um, this goes into our, our fingerprinting process. Um, 
This defect, again, as we looked at the pre-algorithmic deduction, only had a two-point impact on, on, the, on the particular surface score. Um, so again, it, it, it looks like it's more severe when, when looking at it on this image, but it's not impactful when it comes to the overall card grade when, when the system is able to determine whether or not this is uh, human observable or not. Um, there was one other defect on this card. I believe it was towards the bottom right. Um, I'll zoom in here. This is the pit. You will see the, the, the circular characteristic of this defect, um, it, it, circular indent. That's, again, characteristic of, of what we call in the industry pits or pitting. Um, and as we move along here, I'll let Greg uh, kind of explain some of the, the characteristics that the system looks for in order to identify this as a pit and not something else. Um, so these are, these are two examples of, of very minor defects that have very minimal impact on the overall surface score uh, for the back. I'm going to come out of here and we're going to go to another card, Jeremy, that, that has a, a much more visible defect, um, just to kind of show the, the transparency of this SFX image, or what we like to call the tag x-ray image. Um, and this is a, a, a Jason Tatum card. Uh, we're going to go to a, a 2017 Prism rookie, um, similar to the Nikola Jokic. Again, all the same information. You get uh, the, the the tag in the the images, all the card details, uh, all the uh, detailed image and grading report details. I'm just going to scroll down to the surface area here, and you'll see that on this card there are actually uh, seven defects identified on this card, and definitely some more significant defects. Uh, here, ID1, we see a scratch that had a 49-point pre-algorithmic deduction. I'm going to pull up the, the same image of the front of the card. We're going to view that tag x-ray here, and, you know, looking looking at this SFX, if, if, if you know, as an operator, Defects stand out even at, at this um, ratio of, of, of view. So I'm looking at this at 26%. I'm going to zoom in so you guys can see to over 150%. And as I zoom in, you'll see how this scratch just really starts to stand out on, on this SFX image. Um, as, as a lot of you collectors know, a lot of the defects on these modern cards with with all the, the color variations and the, the, the design features of the cards a lot of these defects just kind of blend in and are and are missed um, our systems able to accurately um, identify them again based on on certain characteristics um, you'll see uh, in this image that green box um, this green box is actually our our facial id recognition um, what we like to call region zero um, this, this impacts the, the overall score depending on where a surface defect is located. Um, and I want to kind of kick it over to Greg to talk about the, the technology and, and, and how that the region impacts our, our scoring. Yeah, sure. Great job, Scott. Um, yeah, like we've been talking about, uh, the, the generation of image data and measurable um, elements of the uh, image data that's generated by the um, capture system are what we're looking at here. Um, it was mentioned previously uh, about the type of technology, the stereoscopic 
photometric imaging processing uh, that we're taking uh, to achieve some of this imagery in combination with um, a series of photo manip you know, photographic manipulation steps um, to derive these types of imagery. And even as far back as episode two, we talked about the applicability of machine learning and classification systems, right, to be able to identify and differentiate such elements uh, from, you know, uh, expected design patterns uh, within the card area. So um, with respect to the regions that Scott mentioned, he's correct, right? So we've run every image uh, through facial recognition. Um, I think even it was even Steve that mentioned in a prior episode about the difficulties of recognizing facial regions uh, in hockey goalie, you know, behind hockey goalie masks. So we've tested hundreds and hundreds uh, of, of such scenarios and even identify those accurately. So as he mentioned, uh, a particular defect in traditional scoring, right, and, and even Scott can, can talk to more to this, this is his territory, about how the, the meaningfulness of a defect uh, is relative to the area that it appears on the card. And programmatically, we've sectioned this card into seven concentric regions plus what he referred to as region zero, which is the facial region. And every one of those regions dictate a slightly different uh, um, uh, 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 additional calculation on top of the, the base deduction for that to derive what the actual individual defect uh, deduction would be for that card. And I see you have another uh, another defect like the pit you want to show off there, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking at this card, I'm, I'm trying to find something a little more significant. Um, here's a good example of, of another minor defect. Um, the system identified uh, this this is a scratch. Um, very, very light indent to the card. And again, has the characteristics of, of a scratch. And as we scroll down a little further, um, here you'll see uh, behind the, the red writing here, there's uh, um, another artifact that was identified as a pit. Um, and as we scroll through, there's there's other little minor defects. Again, some of these might be those, those NHODs, non-human observable. Um, but on this card, again, I'm scrolling through, not really seeing anything else. That leads to the other job of the operator. Not only are they looking at these defects that are identified, they're scrolling through this image looking for artifacts that may not have been identified. Um, you know, so, so they're looking for similar characteristics like this scratch, like this pit that uh, don't have the indication of, of being detected by the system. And, you know, so they would zoom in, they might see something like this area here, and they would they would take a quick glimpse at the card and and determine whether or not there is a, a surface defect there. And if if for some reason the system missed this defect, it would simply be flagged, escalated and, and reprocessed um, to make sure that uh, the system has the opportunity to to capture that defect a, a second time. Um, yeah. Yeah, Scott, I think maybe to put it together for the audience, um, you know, if you put yourself in the role of the verifier QA person, you know, it's their job to look at the score data that you've shown in that uh, um, in, in the uh, card details view to assess, you know, to really understand the story behind that card. And the story behind that card is told by those scores, right? They'll be able to look at that story 
in, in terms of the metrics that are related here to understand where there are deductions, where deductions have been applied and be able to understand and, and look at the imagery that's provided here, both the corner images, edge images, with and without display measurement annotations and the SFX images to validate that, yes, indeed, right? The, the basis for these deductions are real and represented in this imagery. Awesome. Guys, I want to thank you for all that. And to stay on this topic, uh, Benjamin Liu says, can you guys talk about how this X-ray image is created? Yeah, there's Ray, some I'll, let you, I'll let you handle that one. You're the tech guy. <laughs> yeah, there's some secret sauce in here. So we'll give you a high level uh, answer, which is we do we use this term and you could probably Google these uh, terms. Photometric, um, you know, is a is a is a key component of this. Stereoscopic is a key component of this. Uh, it's it's not going to be any surprise when you look up those terms on Google that you're going to understand that this is a methodology that uses a series of directed lighting uh, onto the card surface captured um, in a manner that the collection of those images are then composited through software to generate the types of SFX images we're seeing. So from a layman's perspective, you probably even saw flickers of the light uh, in the uh, IMC. Um, did I get that right, IMC? The image cap, you know, image. ICM. ICM, see, I got it backwards. Um, that there was these flashing series of lights. It's those flashing series of lights that are represented by uh, lighting that's been projected across the card surface from a variety of different angles at specific intervals, Jeremy, that then are composited and the secret sauce is in the compositing of those images, right, to generate the imagery that we're seeing here today. All right, appreciate that. And I hope that answers your question, Benjamin Liu. Uh, Scott, were you gonna jump in with something else? Um, no, I, I, I think at this point, I, I'd like to kick it over to Greg to, um, he put together a presentation to uh, showcase some of the other uh, defects that the system's able to identify and, and again, maybe talk about some of the characteristics that the, the system's looking for in order to um, specifically label them as a certain type of uh, a defect. So Greg, okay. I'll, that, I'll, I'll give it to you. Okay, Greg, I, we'll, we'll, I'll turn it to you in just a moment. I just want to address um, a comment that, that came up here. ABC123 says, I'm all in. We need grading reports in this industry. I'm tired of wasting my money. And the reason I bring that up, because there was a question earlier where someone asked, "Will when you were scrolling through, Scott, all the information, someone asked, will, this, will these images and data be available to the submitter, to the customer? And just from watching the last episode, we know that that answer is yes. All these images and the scoring data is on the detailed image and grading report, which is available through the QR code on the, on the, the slab itself. It's also available through the population report. So if you are looking at purchasing a card from somebody on a on a on an online marketplace or at a card show you can scan you can scan the qr code and you can go see exactly what what the uh what the defaults are on the card or the um the defects and and really get a great understanding of what it is that you're looking to purchase which is you know that transparency that uh that we crave so much in the hobby so i wanted to address two questions via that one um, via that one uh, comment from ABC123, who I see has another comment down here. It says, appreciate tag ending the junk slab era. Good night, mm -hmm. ladies and gents. All right, ABC123, I don't know if I've seen you on the show before, 
but um, great to see you and thank you for joining. Okay, with that, uh, Scott was turning it over to you, Greg, to talk about additional mm -hmm. defects. Let me know if I should share your screen now. Yeah, um, so I think before we <laughs> jump into that, uh, yeah, uh, the correct answer to ABC123's question, although what you saw depicted here was a much more condensed kind of uh, inside baseball, right, perspective on the data points, um, the much more user-friendly view, like you mentioned in the detailed image and grading report, identical set of information. So every bit of information that you saw in that operator view is on the detailed image and grading report. And as a consumer submitter, right, your portal, the um, order management system, when you're logged in, creating your orders, viewing the status of your orders, viewing resulting data from your orders, obviously every card in your order is linkable to go directly to that uh, detailed image and grading report as is, as you mentioned, Jeremy, simply scanning the barcode on the card. So what I've done is, you know, although uh, Scott had some um, kind of more traditional cards, cards that, you know, when submitted, we're not expecting to see, you know, people probably aren't submitting their worst cards, they're submitting their best cards for grading. I saved up some examples uh, that I thought might be fun and enjoyable for the for the viewers to see um, examples of other types of defects, right? And so, yeah, feel free to go ahead and switch. So, yeah, so the first thing that we're going to look at here is uh, you saw a bit of a preview of this when Scott kind of perused through the um, the general view of the scoring results, um, but it was a very clean card. And so um, here's an example of, you know, if I do the reverse of clean, a dirty card. Um, here's a card, for example, that in the upper left front corner has significant um, uh, has a significant bend in the uh, upper left-hand corner, right? And you can see uh, too much detail to go into about the derivation of these metrics that you see in yellow and red. Um, but what's important there is that the system has identified and annotated on behalf of the verifier the particulars about the defects that it has made automated observations about. And you can see also uh, in the bottom left corner, all of these corners, probably except for the back top left, which is very clean, right, um, all have some form of deductible defects. Certainly the, you know, the, the reverse side, when we look over here on the right upper corner, we're seeing the back, the same corner that we're looking in the, in the top left, but the back side of it. So, of course, we're seeing uh, the same type of evidence uh, from, the, from the flip side of it. Um, so, Good examples here of the the identification of a very very clean corner like the top right corner versus a dirty corner that's either rounded or bended, or has significant fill or fray. And I think Jeremy, that I I'm pretty sure that the the public here is familiar with the terminology fill and fray. But just to be clear, fill would be areas where the edge of the card has been uh, affected in a way where it's uh, there's indentation. Um, into the uh, into the edge line of that card, and fray is where we see components of uh, the card material extending outside of the card edge. And Scott will tell you, as a as an experienced card grader, that although fill is um, you know a, a bit more of an issue, especially significant indentations of the card, there are components of fray that are expected, right? Um, and don't represent significant deductions at all, but are there to be able to identify, um, you know, aspects of the card that are useful for a number of reasons. So, 
I'll move on here. Like I said, I, I decided to save up some juicy examples for you. Um, here are print line examples. Um, Scott, um, I'll probably hand it back to you at some point to talk about you know, the origin of print lines um, and how these occur, um, if, you, if you need to color comment that. But it's from a layman's perspective, you know, issues in the printing methodology where you know roller bearings have worn out on you know the conveyor systems that you know when these large sheets of cards are printed um you know if they're not maintaining those properly there can be artifacts generated in the form of these types of defects on cards anything you would like to say there scott in terms of what we're looking at here these are these are representations of how print lines look in the generated imagery that we were just talking about earlier yeah, no, nothing to add there, Greg. I think I think you hit it perfectly. It's just uh, it's all in the the manufacturing process, uh, how, how the cards uh, are coming off the the print line and uh, onto the sheets. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything anything more to add. Uh, you know, they're 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 much more common um, on on the Chrome stock cards. You, you see them a lot on on Panini Prism cards, on Topps Chrome cards, Panini Mosaic, those types of cards. Uh, this is a mosaic card or, or where more often than not you'll you'll find these uh these these little you know uh print lines that are kind of unattractive to to mm -hmm. the appeal of the card yeah and as right. you can yeah go ahead jeremy uh, I'll, I'll just make the comment that uh the hobby is much more familiar with the term print lines than they are the terms fray and fill right <laughs> i bet <laughs> yeah a lot of, yeah mostly because uh, i'm sure because these are visible right um and uh, you know from a deduction perspective very meaningful right to the end card grade here are further examples of uh, print lines uh, even even like i decided to include these because these are nearing um uh, what we refer to as nhod um you know so in many cases we can observe print lines and other artifacts that are uh, as we've already stated that aren't even visible to the human eye that don't represent any form of significant deduction as far as a traditional grade level, but are applicable to numerical deductions on the thousand scale. Okay, I'm going to uh, if I, if I can jump in with a few comments that are coming in from the chat, mm -hmm. is that a okay? So let's do that. Um, Oz Card Dad asks the question. I'm just going to take your screen off, but uh, keep it logged in there, Greg. Mm -hmm. He asks, do you have physical copies of cards in various conditions to give baselines for what should warrant each grade? And before I mm -hmm. turn it over to you guys, I would, I mean, <laughs> that's like saying, do you got, I don't, I'm not going to say that to Oz, to, to Oz Cardad, but I mean, just answer the question, please, actually. Yeah, <laughs> thousands of cards. We, thousands, we've talked yeah. in the prior episode about, prior episodes about um, the method of, of which, the, the way in which we're able to identify and isolate these types of defects is through a, a series of classification systems. So thousands of cards have been processed and set aside to represent the basis of classification, right? So um, when we're talking about cards with print lines or scratches or pits, you can imagine that there are hundreds and, th and thousands of such example cards that have been processed for the purposes of supporting the classification system. That's a wonderful answer. Thank you for that. Game Time Gallery said, if a grading error is found by the operator, how would the card get regraded when the system is likely to see the same issue again? Yeah, that goes back to this notion of uh, how the classification system works and continues to improve over the course of time with more examples. Um, if there, for example, is a scenario where 
a particular defect is not identified. Scott mentioned that the verifier's role there is not to grade the card, right? The verifier's role is to essentially QA the, the automated system for grading on its ability to identify such defects. And if they see, for example, something that looks questionable, right, um, that particular uh, card is escalated and it goes into the hands of people like a, um, a Scott, right, who are experienced card graders that can look at that imagery, go to that uh, source card and say, not for the purpose of grading it, but is there something that was missed here or not? And if there was something missed, that particular card is identified and flagged uh, for the development team to identify we don't actually need the physical card because all of the image data um, and even the processed images and the composited images are all uploaded to the cloud, Jeremy. So the development team is then able to take action on that type of card. That card is held until we have a resolution for that type of uh, classification issue and okay. then reprocessed once it's been addressed. Thank you. Uh, Os Cardet says, is there a final set of eyes that check every graded slab? Uh, the slab or every grade? I mean, if uh, we just answered it, both, we could probably. I think I think what Oscar Dad is asking someone to really do a QA check on does the does the printed grade on the slab match the condition of the card? Do the card details on the slab accurately describe the card in the slab? Those two things. That is exactly the role of verification right now, and we're performing that on every card initially, right? And for some period of time, you know, in its infancy here, although the system you know, like we, we've talked in previous previous episodes about how long the system's been under development and how long we've been processing cards up until now. Um, there will be an extended period of time where we're going to continue uh, to apply the operations overhead to perform such um, manual verification of every card. It's extremely, extremely important to the entire team to ensure a card is never released um, with a misrepresented score. Okay, next question is from Bill Cull. He says, are Chrome and paper cards held to the same standards? Most would assume that the Chrome corners and edges would score higher based on the way they are made. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I'll let Scott uh, comment after I throw this in there, which is um, the standards by which the corner calculations and scoring operate don't care whether or not it was a Chrome, right, or a standard paper, you know, stock card. Um, those two cards can have equally perfect or imperfect corners. I think what he's alluding to is the likelihood of Chrome cards and other cards of that type being less likely as a population set to contain um, corner issues or edge issues just by virtue of the the card stock and, and the manufacturer basis of that card. Scott, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like like you alluded to, uh, paper, paper stock, Chrome stock, there's, there's there's absolutely zero difference in the way the system is is identifying the defects, calculating those defects, and, and attributing the summary detail scores to to a final grade. Um, I agree. I think I think what Bill's alluding to is the fact that most most Chrome cards are inherently going to score much higher on the corners and the edges, for that matter, um, than than any paper stock card, uh, as as the corners don't don't bend. Uh, as easily, they don't mm -hmm. chip as easily. Uh, there's, they don't there's phrase easily. There. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, at the end of the day, the system scoring them the same, but you will probably see much higher corner scores on on Chrome cards. Okay, two questions now from Grotman. These are these are great questions. 
He says first, if two types of defects overlap, say a pit in the middle of a scratch, will the grading mechanism pick up both and deduct the points for both? That's question one of two. He has a follow-up, but let's start with that one. Yeah, so uh, there's this notion of grouping um, of defects uh, in the scoring system where, um, for example, uh, one of the things we see quite frequently are if, if there are defects, they are concentrated you know, fairly in a, in a fairly localized area. It could be simply because the person handling them, you know, maybe applied some abrasion uh, with the handling. And so you'll see kind of a, a, a concentrated area with multiple scratches. You're actually going to see examples of that when we continue with more of my examples uh, later, Jeremy. Um, in such cases, those, those collections of defects are grouped and scored uh, slightly differently um, as opposed to you know, separately indicated defects on various other regions within the card. But the answer is yes, uh, you know, the defects are still, as long as they're matching the classification system to the extent that that pit is uniquely identifiable, um, uh, even, you know, slightly apart from the scratch, uh, those will definitely be identified as pits and scratches separately. I could see an edge case where if the, if there was a, a substantial scratch, and the pit was literally in the middle of that uh, of that scratch that, you know, that could just be considered, a, a you know, an aspect of scratch depth. But, um, you know, when at the level of detail we're looking, um, you know, microns of variation, <laughs> um, we're probably uh, going to be able, unless it's literally dead center of that scratch, going to be able to identify those as separate artifacts. And, and Jeremy, in our in our initial um testing of, of this aspect. We, we, we thought long and hard about this. How, how will the system identify defects that, that overlap? Uh, mm -hmm. you know, we, we took thousands of cards and, and placed manual defects on the card, uh, you know, dropped a, a nickel on its edge on the card to create a dent and put a pit in the middle of the dent. Um, and, and you could see the different characteristics, um, you know, print lines and, and, and roller lines intersecting. It, it's all been it's all been tested and thought through. And, and as, as Greg mentioned, um, as long as there is a characteristic that allows us to, uh, the system to identify the defect type, they will be uh, identified separately and scored separately. You mentioned, you know, and Greg, you used a good term when you talk about the grouping of these mm -hmm. defects. Grotman's follow-up question is a question that if I recall, I think I asked this exact same question, so no wonder I like his question. He says, and so if if yes, basically we'll deduct points for both uh, defects, would it be the same point deduction as if the pit and scratch were right next to each other or if they're in, in, in the same region? So if they're overlapping, there would be a, yeah. Yeah, there would be a slightly different score result there. Um, if they were derived as two completely separately identifiable uh, defects uh, in, for example, different regions, absolutely there would be different scores by virtue of the fact that the regions themselves dictate a multiplier, right? Um, if there were two defects uh, located um, within the same proximity within the same region, um, the score is going to be very close. But when we're talking about grouping, we're talking very localized um, deduction uh, uh, very localized grouping so if you were to if you were to even th if you were to think about like real dimensions right uh, we're talking a grouping that has to occur within less than a quarter to eighth of an inch between defects roughly 
right, uh, for them to be grouped. If they're more than, say, an eighth of an inch uh, apart, those defects, they are not going to be grouped. They're going to be considered as, as independent defects. Okay. It's interesting because if I just think about all the cards I've seen and you have a card that ha that's like, uh, has, let's say, a, a perfect, virtually a perfect surface, mm -hmm. but in like the top right quadrant, you can tell that something scuffed it. So you've got mm -hmm. several scratches and a couple of dimples and whatever else that causes more of an eyesore than if you separated each of those separate scratches and mm -hmm. put them an eighth of an inch apart somewhere else on the card. It's mm -hmm. because your eye is going to be drawn directly to that grouping. So the fact that you guys have thought of that, someone said way earlier in the show that these guys have thought of everything. And I think you just kind of, uh, you know, supported that claim yet again. Sure. So. Yeah. Jeremy, if I may, you, you bring up a good point. Um, like you mentioned, a, a grouping of defects separated and spread out amongst the, the, the entirety of the card are much less of an eyesore than, than when clumped together. Mm -hmm. So our, our system, as far as, you know, I don't want to get too much into the scoring, but as defects accumulate on the front of the card, their impact becomes, their scoring becomes less, less impactful. The, the, the the most impactful defect has the biggest impact on the, on the surface score. Um, other defects not located near that become less impactful. Therefore, the deduction becomes less and less as you get more and more defects. Um, the grouping allows us to isolate all of those defects and score them as one, so as to not um, impact how the the system uses all of the defects on the card to to get to that final grade. Fair. Okay. Two more things. First of all, and I see punt pass click just put in a comment that is actually not accurate. He says, I'm not sure how I feel about knocking down a card for things that an actual human can't see. And the reason I say it's not accurate is because that speaks to the whole NHOD uh, descriptor that you guys, have, the, the NHOD, the non-human observable defect. And so to punt pass click, I think what, and you guys, please correct me if I'm wrong, but if there's a non-human observable defect, the penalty on the score is much lower, if not nil, compared to one that a human can see. And before I let you comment on that, Lucky K says, at what magnification do you consider something to be a non-human observable defect? Yeah, so maybe let's answer that. Greg, I, I, I don't want to talk about uh, anything that is proprietary with respect to the uh, the technology. So I would consider the answer to this question to be a little too much uh, information. Yeah, I think we can answer the first part of the question though about the difference between um, uh, NHODs relative to their impact on total um, card score. Um, I th only because we said it earlier, Jeremy, which is from a traditional card scale, uh, a card grading scale, um, you're not going to see an impact of such uh, NHOTs, right? Uh, uh, a pristine 10 is not going to change from pristine 10 just because there are some NHOTs on the card. Where it does come into play, and I think it's worth noting, is TAG is in the business not only to provide very you know, purely objective grading, but also being able to leverage the technology, right, um, to uh, to the extent that we can prove, right, even higher value of cards on a scale that has never previously been attempted. 
right? So, you know, when you look at a third-party graded pristine 10, um, in our eyes, that is a huge range of variation in that, you know, traditional card grade. And what TAG has done, right, through the use of our technology has been able to expand and understand where on that scale of that pristine 10 that card is such that a card on the very high end of that pristine 10 should be worth more than one on the lower end of that same pristine 10 right so um i'm not care if you if you care to comment or elaborate on that guys but um that's been something that's been really uh, a key element in, even insofar as this notion of a proof card but all right. And you know what, because you just mentioned proof card there, I'm going to bring up Jim L's comment here. He says, with this level of detail, which is incredible, are you creating a new grading system of, say, a 10 with which it, with, with with tag is not equal to that of, say, a current 10 with another grading company? No, I think we want to be crystal clear here that the entire uh, grading system right, is based in traditional grading terminology, right? So um, the, the same card, we, you know, to, the incredible pains to get to and ensure, right, that a card that you would expect to see in a traditional grading system as a nine and a half or a 10 or a pristine 10, you're going to get the same grade from a tag result. The only difference is that, like we said, a pristine 10 in a traditional grading sense is that it's a pristine 10. In the tag rating sense, a pristine 10 will have a range of numeric values, right? And we think that there's probably some value in that long-term even above and beyond where the traditional grading system is able to identify a card grade. Yeah, uh, the other difference I think, uh, Jeremy and Greg, is that um, every card will be graded consistently so that the application of, of algorithm and, and scores and grading to one card that may be gem mid 10 or pristine, those same attributes as they apply to another card, you are assured that that card is going to get the same grade. Mm -hmm. So our, our issue with the grading industry has never been that grading today is not accurate. There, there never was a standard that was determined by rules of physics. Uh, the standard has been built over the years. The market has an expectation of what that standard is. All grading companies use a similar standard. Our objective has been to bring consistency and reproducibility to that standard because when there lacks consistency, there automatically lacks inaccuracy, whatever your standard is. And objectivity. You know, yeah. Um, that you know, there is there is no subject subjectivity in a machine, right? Uh, there is no uh, tired eye or long night or uh, pressed for a um, a particular um, performance goal, right? So every card is objectively graded. Yeah, or or six months experience versus twelve years experience, etc. Oscardad says, what is the numerical range for the tag top grade, which is a 10? So on a thousand point scale, Scott, where does what's a, what is a 10? So we have two classifications of a 10. We have the the industry standard gem mint 10 um, on our scoring system on a 100 to 1000 point scale. That range is 925 to 974. Um, we also have a pristine 10, and that would be any grade final grade higher, 975 or higher. Got it. Thank you very much. 
Okay. Um, what is next, fellas? Uh, any, oh, yeah, Scott, or sorry, Greg, you had more defects you wanted to show? I did, yeah. Let's flip back to the uh, slides just to get through a few more of those. Um, yeah, this, these weren't that, ex just to remember, we had just finished uh, looking at some of the print line examples, uh, some that were, uh, you know, even slight print line uh, uh, still being detected. Um, I, I wanted to point out a few examples here of scratches, right? Um, here are uh, more scratches. So here is, uh, I, I was happy you made that comment, Jeremy, because here is exactly what we're talking about in the in the bottom right corner of a card where there's been some handling. You can see all these striations are all minute scratches in this bottom right corner of the card that have been grouped, right? Um, so it's really interesting, you know, only a handful of these may be visible to the human eye. Um, we've detected a lot of them, right? Uh, some of them, um, you know, as visible, right, clearly visible on the card surface are, are certainly going to uh, represent larger deductions than some of the lesser scratches. But I just, I think it's interesting for the viewers to understand, you know, at, uh, with this type of imaging, how the surface of that card really looks, right? Um, and um, and how, how amazing the technology is to be able to bring that out. Um, you know, um, if I may, uh, Greg, um, mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of continuing to think about the uh, one of the questions kind of implies that there's almost a, uh, because of the level of detail that we see that there's almost a an inherent. I'm going to get a lower grade because they mm -hmm. see more of the card type of feel. So I just wanted to say that when we identify uh, a small defect. Uh, and odds are even less than this. But when we identify a small observable defect, and that defect has a certain number of points uh, attributed to it, keep in mind that that defect rolls up with other defects into a corner score, let's say top left. Mm -hmm. That happens with the top left rolling up into a top left, top right, bottom right, bottom left. So you have a continuing minimization of that defect. That goes up into a, a front and back. That goes up into a card. So when we're talking about a defect, a single defect, and somebody says, oh, that's 40 points uh, for that defect, that has no relationship to, the, to what the actual amount of points are that are attributed to the card grade. So we're seeing things on a really, really uh, microscopic level and uh, I just wanted to make sure people understand the system sees it, the system records it, the system scores it, but we have accounted for all that in the grading so that the grading represents the two days existing uh, industry standard grading and expectations. Yeah, well put, uh, Steve. And I, you know, I want to give a shout out to Scott here because, you know, what he's been able to help generate here is a system where any experienced grader would be able to look at uh, a grade given by the tag system and and provide agreement right on that on that card score um, from a traditional uh, card grade perspective right uh, the the new grade range that we're introducing here from the thousand point scale right there's a mapping and, and we talked about that mapping I actually threw it as the last slide here just to take a quick glimpse at um, that uh, Scott recited um, but yeah um, it's through Scott's work 
and reviewing hundreds and thousands of cards that have been generated by the the output of everything that that we've worked together to generate that has confirmed right um you know the appropriateness of the deductions that we're seeing here so yeah. let me just say with respect to that um we started a long time ago we've been through four development processes uh the proof of concept the prototype the minimum viable product the production model and each at each one of those steps for each one of those those uh deliverables scott graded thousands and tens of thousands of cards so when greg is saying that scott has graded thousands of cards that's on top of the thousands and thousands of cards that have gone on into developing all of these uh, uh these tools over the the eight to ten years so uh, it's an enormous number of cards that uh, he's looked at Okay. Yeah, so why don't we just finish this out when we get to Q&A, uh, um, Jeremy. So here's a, a good example of how a roller mark appears to our system, right? So this long vertical edge, a roller mark, if you're not familiar, um, is again a byproduct of the printing process where most likely it's a roller bearing uh, by which these sheets of printed card material have um, you know, been transported. And if a bearing rolls, you know, if a bearing seizes right then you can imagine what's occurring right uh that bear that roller right is essentially making an indentation on the entire uh length of that card and every other card that was printed in that sheet and then this card just so happens to also have a uh, a long scratch here on the left side um just a quick comment i you know maybe you can talk a little bit scott about um, print defects um and you know the the representation of how you know these appear on a card surface yeah so a print defect would would just be a defect on a card where where maybe the color wasn't uh, applied appropriately um you know i'm not sure exactly how these end up on the cards uh, to be honest with you with the printing processes they they go through today it would seem highly unlikely that color could get mixed in and 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 there be an issue with with that um, this particular card, I don't know, Greg, if you put together the uh, uh, the color version. I should the, have. Yeah, there's this is a, a basically just a, a white print dot on the border of the card, um, and so the system I identified this as as a print defect and was scored appropriately um, based on on the algorithms we have and impact rules for um, for print defects. Uh, yeah, the color the, the color one would add a lot more to to this conversation. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy to see on the screen here, um, maybe because I know it's there, uh, but the color would add add a lot to to this. Conversation. Yeah, I should have added the color one. Sorry about that. But that was it for my side. I think the only other thing I just threw in here on the score matrix because there was that question in terms of the thousand point range and how those map to uh, the traditional card scoring ranges. Yeah, it's a little small and hard to see, but I'm sure that'll be on on the website uh, if it's not there eventually, and everyone can sort of take a take a look at that. Thank you for zooming in on that, Greg. That's a lot easier to see now, but now you can see how the tag 1,000 point scale uh, relates to the industry standard 10 point scale. And and Jeremy, if I can, if we, Greg, if you can just go back to that print line, uh, or the the print print mark, this one here, uh, I want to make sure everybody is aware of that they will have the ability to 
use our, our transparency bar to change from the SFX to the color version. Um, so if you're not sold that this is an actual print defect, uh, you would be able to scroll to the color version of this card and verify that, that it actually is indeed a, a, a print defect. Yeah, good call out. And we did see that on, on, on uh, I believe that was- Last episode, episode, yeah. Yeah, that was in episode three, I believe. So uh, good stuff. Um, thanks for taking us through those examples, Greg. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna go to a couple comments now. Um, and Bob's Big Boy calls something out here that uh, I'm very impressed that Bob's Big Boy makes this comment. And again, it's gonna speak to how Tag has thought of pretty much everything, I guess. Uh, With trimmed cards receiving gem grades in the last 10 years from other grading companies, is it time that card size becomes a fifth grading category or a fifth subgrade? Does TAG use a digital micrometer or, or Creaform 3D scanner to size cards to a whole bunch of zeros and a five? So, you know, I just want to make the comment that on the digital image and grading report that is available for free with every card to, to everybody out there, um, one of the one of the one of the row the second or third row of the aggregation of the information has the front and back score for centering edges corner surface and then it has the the dimensions of the card to i don't know i don't know if it's uh the, six, the hundred, hundred thousands a hundred thousands so i love bob i love what bob is is really getting at because i think listen you can submit cards to manual grading companies and they send them, they won't grade them. They'll send them back to you and say, min, you know, PSA has min size requirement. Uh, they don't meet that minimum size. Well, it would be nice to know what it did measure out to, I suppose. And on the detailed image and grading report of every card with tag, you can go watch the last episode. You'll see that on there. It tells you what the size is. So although it's, I don't think it's printed on the slab, but it's available with it, with each card on, on the digital image and grading report. I'll turn it over to you, Scott, Steve, Greg, if you have anything to add to that. I do. Um, we're not going to go into any details about how we um, arrived by this, but we 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 should be very clear in in stating that we do provide uh, trimming detection. Right, uh, a trimmed card is going to be flagged in the system, uh, and an operator is going to be uh, able to identify such cards in that uh, verification step, and such cards won't be slapped. So Steve, you can probably comment to that. No, I agree. And I'd like to compliment the person on the last question because we started uh, quite a while ago saying that dimensions of a card are very important for a lot of reasons, trim being one. But uh, you can different, when you have a thousand point scale, you have the luxury of differentiating cards on a one one thousand basis. And so we do agree dimension should be considered as part of the um, differentiation of a card. A true three and a half by two and a half is better than a 2.4996 by a 3.5105. Okay. Appreciate that additional commentary. Uh, let's go to Skeppy's comment here. He says, how does the system understand a pattern in a card, say a gold vinyl texture? How would the system know if the pattern consistency is correct and or discern a flaw? Yeah, we're getting into territory now where uh, to be able to answer that question, I would be giving too much detail about how the system operates. Um, so um, respectfully, I can't give you answers to how in detail, right, um, we're able to differentiate 
um, noise from signal in these cases. Noise from signal, but can you state that the, that you have built into the system the mechanism to do so? Yeah, and, and again, the basis for that is um, relative to classification and identification of defects based on um, what we've talked about previously, um, more in the counterfeit context, but this notion of uh, exemplar right, representations of uh, all these de defect types. Okay, thank you, Greg. And, and Greg, we, we also, part of the QA, uh, the verification QA function, isn't to also be looking for that noise if if it if it escapes the detection of the system mm -hmm. we still have a second stop gap there we're looking for noise that's one of the things we're looking for okay good i'm gonna go to uh, this is not to do with the system but uh, baseball card curmudgeon says that steve stated that the hobby is driven by purchasers of serialized higher-end cards i disagree maybe only those who grade the hobby is driven by collectors who collect base cards of athletes. Steve, before I let you comment, I just want to say to baseball card curmudgeon, um, you know, I, I, wa I watch, I go to the LCS, I watch people open up packs of cards. I watch breakers open packs of cards. I see what's listed on what, what is shown on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, people skip by the base cards to look for the hit. I think that the hobby was built on set collecting and the hobby was built on you know, filling up your binder pages with the full set. But nowadays, I, I mean, listen, I, and I said on an Instagram story yesterday, set collecting is not dead. I collect sets myself. But uh, is the hobby driven right now on people collecting base cards of athletes? Um, I don't know if I can agree with that with that commentary. But nonetheless, uh, baseball card curmudgeon was was referring to something that Steve said. So Steve, I'll I'll put the um, I'll put the comment back on and see if you'd like to uh, to respond to it at all. Um, in part, I agree that uh, hobbyists play an important part in the uh, in the hobby. And uh, uh, but you can't, in my opinion, you can't reconcile that what I believe is 0.082% of the cards are uh, premium and ultra premium, and that you're taking 20 billion cards and out of those 20 billion. <laughs> 99.8% of those cards are common cards. Uh, that's not driving the hobby. And what's selling those cases and those boxes is the chance of getting that premium, ultra premium card. Let me also say that there's a reason why there are so many different sets. There are so many serialized cards. There's so many one of one. There's a reason why. As a matter of fact, one manufacturer literally told us their biggest challenge each year was figuring out how to come out with something new to sell cards. And um, the last thing, the last point that I would make about this is that I don't know if this is different than, than a lot of other places, but in my years, I don't recall a situation where the highest end value literally determined every value that flowed from it. So as soon as you raise the value of a 10 on a card, you're raising the value of the nine, in my opinion. And uh, it's not the value is unique to the 10. So because of that, when you have such a small percentage of the cards that are the premium, ultra premium cards, they become a huge value driver for all the other cards, as opposed to the reverse where people are, 
creating demand for 20 billion common cards and that's raising the value of the cards. It's, it's not bottom up, it's top down. I agree with that. Uh, I agree with that 98% of the time. There are, there are, when it comes to certain cards where you have a, you know, a Wayne Gretzky rookie is a really good example because you've only got two PSA 10s and then you've got 13,000 more copies. So the 10 is almost in this, uh, this class of its own and they sell so infrequently that if the price moves, it may or may not move the lower grades. I think in, in December of 2020, 2020 or 2021, 2020, when that card sold, uh, we did see it pull up everything else. But as, as, um, as time goes by and you don't see sales of those cards, you're still seeing the movement of the lower grades because it's just infrequent, but on a, on a pure commodity card that has a more even distribution of grade of cards that fall within each grade point. I absolutely agree with, with those comments. Okay. And, and I agree with what you just said, Jeremy, but let me add one proviso. Let's just say you have a card that's got uh, a pop of two tens and it's got 159s. I believe that if that 10 were to go from a million to 3 million, your suggestion is that the nines may not move. My suggestion is that the public would look at all those nines and start to say, I have a higher nine, you have a lower nine, and the people who believe their nine is centered a little better, their nine should have been a nine and a half, but no nine and a half grade was offered. Uh, those people are gonna expect and get a higher value for their nine than they would have got, but for the 3 million uh, sale on the 10. I so you're right. uh, I agree, but the thousand point system deals with that issue. Yeah, and you're you're 100 correct about that. Um, and and there are services in the manual grading hobby and that are unrelated to the grading companies themselves that apply their special eye appeal designation to discern between a high end nine and a average nine and a low end nine. So I definitely uh, agree with that comment if, there. If you look at a high end auction catalog you'd be hard pressed to find a card, let's say an eight, where the description does not say, this is among the best eights we've ever seen. This is the highest uh, uh, eye appeal nine I've ever seen. Yeah. They're trying to differentiate for you what the graders are unable to differentiate. Right. What the, grade, what the manual grading scale is unable to uh, to go the level of detail that they are just unable to communicate via their provided information, whether it's on the slab or the um, the non-existent uh, grading report. I believe our slab cards are going to generate a lot of value, and I believe that they are going to actually set the market price for what um, respective grades should be. We will differentiate between a low 10 and a high 10. Okay, well, um, that's... We will see how, how the future unravels. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be hosting uh, you guys on here if I didn't believe that uh, the tag was definitely going to make its mark on the hobby. Um, okay, uh, Scott, is there anything left on the program tonight? No, I think I think we've we've covered everything. I was uh, um, just trying to think here if there was anything else that, that we needed to go over. But I, I think we've we've kind of touched uh, all the bases. Greg, you had uh, you wanted to talk more towards authentication, I believe, uh, counterfeit. I, I I I don't know if you. I, I look, we've been going for over two hours, so I can't recall if you already did. But um, 
Is there anything further there that you wanted to touch on? No, we. I think Steve touched on it, right? Um, there's a component of the system that you know needs to consider and will continue to develop methods for identifying counterfeit, right? Um, there's a, a component there that I think we should make clear, right? That tag, I consider tag to be the first company to apply technology to supplement existing manual methods of identifying counterfeit cards based on tells and existing libraries of known counterfeits, right? I think this greatly advances the ability to detect counterfeits. Um, um, but by no means uh, do any of these automated mechanical measures um, you know, infer that any system is capable of error-free detection. Um, but I think we're going to advance the cause greatly by the use of our technology. Yeah, it seems, it seems like that's inevitable at this point. VV Card says, another great episode. Love the transparency and consistency in your approach. Looking forward to episode five and submitting cards. Uh, Yelia, welcome to the show, says, late to the party, but looking forward to tagging some cards in the future. Some new vernacular coming out for the sports card hobby when it comes to grading. That is for sure. Um, and Lucky K, I think what Tag is doing is great for the hobby by giving details. It is like having, have, it's like how Carfax changed the used car industry. Most people want to see the Carfax before mm -hmm. buying a used car. That's a great analogy mm -hmm. right there. Jay Wilson says, Jeremy, what is the first cards you are going to send? Well, as, <laughs> I've, as I've mentioned, I've got, um, I was saving up a bunch of cards for, for grading to deliver to one of the companies at the National uh, before it got canceled in 2020. And I still have that box of cards because, as we know, prices were, were, were too much. And, uh, and I'm glad I wasn't able to submit them to manual companies because they're definitely going to go to tag. What will be the first one? I, it'll, be, it'll be a hockey card from probably 2012 Fleer Retro is, uh, is what it will be, Jay Wilson. Nice. Um, thank you for asking because I get giddy at the thought of getting my, my cards back tagged. I, I, I can't wait. It's going to be so cool. That new um, case. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, I, I'm very excited uh, with that. So um, there's a, been a bunch of comments that have come through again about vintage. I, I just, I just mm -hmm. don't think uh, some, if you're asking about vintage cards still, Steve addressed it at the beginning of this episode. So feel free to go back and, uh, and watch the beginning of this episode where Steve does speak to uh, vintage cards and, and, you know, the, the, what the future holds for tag and their, their uh, ability and capability and uh, timeline or lack thereof of being able to do vintage cards. It's, it's something that I think they're, they're going to work towards over time. Steve, anything you want to add to that uh, again? <laughs> no, I think that uh, you're correct. I, I've covered it. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Lucky K says, I've watched all episodes live. Another great presentation. Well, that I'm going to th thank you, Lucky K. I think that speaks to, to the way the people at tag we have, we've got Greg and we had, uh, Mark and Michael take us on a tour earlier today. So thank you very much for that. Uh, hockey cards, can we see a PMG in one of your slabs? You will see one of my PMGs in one of their slabs. I can uh, I can guarantee you that hockey cards. And I'll, I'll show that on Instagram as soon as I'm able to, uh, to submit and get it back. Um, Bob's Big Boy says, imagine spending $100,000 on a PSA slab and not getting a card size report, tag stepping up, big by meeting this need i mean yeah there's just so much uh, information that's gonna gonna come via tag greg 
Grotman says, we'll tag deduct from McKinnon pink young guns where the color is wrong and there is a baseline card where the color is correct. Uh, Scott, are you familiar with the Nathan McKinnon young gun and this print defect that Upper Deck had? Yeah, yeah, the big pink blotch right in the middle of his jersey, yeah. Uh, it comes across his shoulder, just a little, yep. just through the shoulder, yeah. Or yep, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an eyesore on those cards. I know uh, uh, there's been some very inconsistent... Uh, grading standards applied to that card throughout the industry. Uh, that is definitely something that uh, uh, we will deduct for because uh, there's plenty of examples where, where that pink is not on the card. Uh, so it, it will be taken into account uh, when, when those cards do come through and, and are graded by our tech system. And let me tell you, let me speak to that on my own, just as a collector. Listen, I'm, I'm somebody who has a Nathan McKinnon uh, PSA 10 in my collection right now. And I was not willing to add one with that pink. I do not want that pink. It's a, it's a print defect, but they then Upper Deck corrected it. And Upper Deck set up at the, well, they set up the expo every year. And there was a one particular expo where if you brought them your, your pink copy, they would take it and give you back the newer copy, uh, you know, a copy of the, of the, of the corrected version. And so I, I agree with that approach, Scott. I don't know what the manual grading companies do if they deduct for that for that pink. I don't think that they do, but I think the correct thing to do is to deduct for it because it it was a it's an eyesore, it's an eye appeal issue, it's a mistake, and uh, and there is a corrected version that looks nice. But that's just my opinion. I don't think everyone's going to agree with that, and that's a okay. That's right a, it's, it's a slippery slope. I mean, I don't I don't know how the other grading companies approach that particular defect. All I do know is I see some very nice tens in some of the other company slabs that have that pink. And then I also see tens that don't have it. I see nines that do nines that don't. And it, it just, it makes you wonder what, what's being applied. Uh, is it, is it every card? Is it inexperience? What, 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 what's causing the difference in the grade here? Um, so that is something that we'll, uh, we will deduct for and, and it will be identified by our system. Thank you. Thanks for that, Scott. I just want to, Jay Wilson, you know, pays me a compliment as props to you, Jeremy, for bringing this to us. I just want to comment briefly on that and just say that, you know, I, I think this is a really special opportunity I have here to present tag on the sports cards live platform to the hobby. And it's really a, a privilege that they, you know, were willing to do this with me. And when I sort of think about, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, if tag ends up being as significant in this hobby as I believe it's going to be, I think I'm going to look back at that at, at this, at the month of June, 2022, and look back on it with such fond memories and the significance of this series of episodes. And maybe, you know, we don't know what the future is going to hold, but I think it's going to take a turn here that, uh, that I wasn't expecting before I discovered tag and just how, how, how they've thought of everything and what they're doing and consistency and reproducibility and accuracy and all these things. And if I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be doing this. So thanks for that comment, Jay Wilson. I appreciate it. Uh, oh, Egypt, well, Egyptian Hebrew Hindu Anglo says, looking forward to see some re returns on YouTube. So meaning people receive their, their submissions and they live open them like the, the, the box openings, that will definitely be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see them on Instagram as well. Rick Bowman says, love this, guys. Can't wait till I can ship tag some cards for grading. Thank you, guys. Great content. And Jay Wilson adds, this the series version of this 
so being the five episodes, this is number four, has also led to a great understanding of the company. I have developed a level of trust. You see, this is this is what my show was all about, guys. You know, we're 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 a we're almost two hundred episodes in with After Hours. We're we're over two hundred now, and I always say, what I take pride in, what I wanted, what I want to serve the how I want to serve the hobby is by introducing collect you know passionate collectors, industry insiders, and other content creators. Introduce them to the hobby to the extent they haven't been already. Give a, a you know a glimpse into people because business is relationships. Relationships are built on trust. And if you have these things, I think you're going to be more comfortable and uh, tag. Listen, I was there. I, I, it's just, it, it's, it's a great organization from what I've seen. Uh, definitely. Grotman says, want to thank all the tag guys for their time. This has been the coolest hobby tech related thing I've ever seen in the last 20 years. And my friend Rich says 113 watching only 35 likes. Let's hit the like button. Thank you, Rich. And Hockey Card says, thank you guys for being so open and forthright, which is, again, a, a quality that how can you not respect? Okay. All that said, are we ready to wrap this up? Yeah, Jeremy, when we first talked about our revealing on your show, I don't know if you'll recall, but one of the reasons why I told you we wanted to do it was that we felt your audience trusted you and we wanted to be somewhere where we could earn trust. And so it was important to us that we knew trust was a value component of your show. Uh, it wasn't just a guest. It wasn't the hype. And uh, that comment really kind of brought me back to when we first talked about it. So thank you and thank your audience. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. I, I greatly appreciate that. Um, well, thank you. And uh, let me offer an ending comment for us, if I may. Please. We have... Uh, few people and it doesn't take a lot of people uh, it takes committed people who are devoted to a common goal uh, who reach for the stars uh, who don't know how to say this can't be done uh, it's a remarkable group they've developed a culture that is very accomplished oriented Greg has played a very large role in that dev block itself for those who need development assistance on projects that are unrelated to the card grading industry. Uh, these people, they know how to get involved and they know how to, to understand the business need as well as the technical need. Um, so we've had um, Gary up there and Yoy and Greg and Carl and Ben and James. And it's a remarkable group. Uh, we've had a lot of developers and uh, we thank all of them. They have, we, we've had no turnover our company we've not lost anybody we've been doing this for years um, that's a very important element of accomplishing the things we accomplish it's few people who carry a lot of information and everybody becomes critical and we just appreciate them so much uh, just wanted to say uh, thank you to all and, and i wanted to tell our one missing warrior tonight that he was greatly missed and i hope that he feels everybody here did right by him Okay, very nice, Steve. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to give Scott and Greg an opportunity to uh, to just thank the, the the audience again. But I have to bring up Skeppy's comment here. I trust Jay Lee. That's me, except for the topic of Ken. And I oh, I still and my buddy Joe has told me how to say his last name a hundred times, whether it's Stabler, Stabler. What is it? What is it, guys? How do you say his last name? Stabler. Greg, I can't hear you. 
Stabler. Stabler, thank you. Yeah, Skeppy, I wouldn't trust me on, on Ken Stabler either. And I'm going to try to remember how to say that. Uh, Lucky K, a great reminder here, everyone. Have a good evening. Happy Father's Day to uh, to all of us fathers out there. That is tomorrow. Um, I just want to mention uh, that the episode five was originally scheduled for next Saturday. We are rescheduling that because of the uh, one of the members is is ill, and so we are going to be rescheduling episode five. So just if you're following me on Instagram, my Instagram is on the ticker right now. Watch the just watch the channel. You'll see when when I when I kind of create the the broadcast and push it out to YouTube. You will see when that is going to happen. Uh, reminder tomorrow on Collectible Live, we're going live at 6 p.m. Eastern on the Sports Cards Live channel. My guest will be Gerard Starkey of Sports Authentication Authority Services. He's also one of the biggest Michael Jordan memorabilia collectors in the world. So he'll have some great stories to tell. I'd like to thank channel sponsors, Pristine Auction, Center Stage App, and of course, Trade Safe. Not truly a sponsor because I'm a partner, but want to thank Trade Safe for what they're what they and we are bringing to the hobby. All right, I think we're good. I have nothing more for, for this evening. Uh, Greg, Scott, final parting comments from you and then we're gonna end this. Yeah, I, I, uh, Greg, you first. I just wanna say uh, thank you to the team and great job on doing the uh, on-site demo today. Uh, the walkthrough of the uh, of the floor was great, great job. Yeah, I want to I want to reiterate what what Steve said. Our the, the team, the culture we've built here has been uh, uh, nothing but exceptional. Uh, it's fun to come into the office every day, put our heads down, and 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 get to work. And that culture is a big part of it. So thanks to uh, the entire team here, and uh, Jeremy uh, again, thanks for the opportunity to uh, uh, showcase our system on, on your show. We're all you know. We're big fans, and and uh, I, I've enjoyed the four episodes so far. Having watched the first three from behind the curtain, I'm glad I finally got to uh, hop on and and be a part of it. And looking forward to the the episode five, uh, where we're going to talk about the, the future of, of tag. Well, from what I can tell, Scott, you are a big part of it. Uh, it's great to have you on, and I know you were itching to get on, and I'm super uh, glad to have you. And it, it's really a privilege for me to be able to. Uh, to, to do this uh, with, with you guys. So with that, everybody, happy Father's Day tomorrow. Uh, we'll see you on Collectible Live. If not, have a great week ahead. And uh, thanks for tuning in. That's it. This episode is now over. You guys we'll all- be back. We'll be back in two weeks. Two weeks from now. Is that when you want to do it? Is it okay. Whatever that date was, July 9th, I think you we talked about. July 9th is a Saturday. So we will look to do episode five on July the 9th, everybody. So a one week delay from the original plan. And hopefully uh, our, uh, um, hopefully the, the person who is ill will be better. Okay, with that, this episode is over, everybody. You guys hang tight for one moment, everybody else. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, everybody.